1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com
1: for more podcasts
0: from our great mates. Welcome to Primates, the podcast where we explore primates in popular culture from Chimpan A all the way down to Chimpan Z. This week on the show, for the first time in the monkey house, from legendary bands such as Tism Root, the DC3 and Damien Cow's Disco Machine, it's Damien Cow. Hello Matt. Thanks so much for joining us, this is Surreal. Thank you for having me. Is it surreal for you too? I imagine this is pretty exciting for you to be <laughs> well, in the monkey house here. To be talking about uh, this topic,
2: and I have absolutely zero to say about. Um, it certainly put, puts me in the psychedelic zone.
0: Yeah, great. Because mm. the the monkeys was the band we're going to talk about. Yes, and you're um, you've been in a lot of bands, so. Is, is were the monkeys an influence? <laughs> <laughs> well um, I'm old enough
2: to have been around when they actually came out um, uh, that is you know appeared for the first time so yes they did actually we um, my sister is four years older than me so she was a fan of the monkeys and we had we had four little pictured um, sleeve seven inch singles and we played them to death and in fact my first... I I used to go around to uh, this guy called Peter Fowler's house in Springvale, and we used to get together with tennis rackets and um, paint uh, and draw um, little sideburns um, in pen and mime with the tennis rackets. To it wasn't exclusively monkeys, but they certainly featured heavily. Right. So yes, they were a kind of a formative. um, uh, You know, they weren't really my favourite band. But they certainly were in there, you know. They weren't as good as the Beatles, although I think my, I I, I don't know if my junior brain could sort of figure out why that was, but you just sort of knew. Of course, the subsequent backstory, which you're no doubt going to explain in very
0: helpful detail, um, will kind of answer that question. totally. Yes. You, I mean you still, and yeah, you, you grew out the sideburns for real now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They were more your colour because it was this, <laughs> was this multi-coloured pen. I don't know
2: if you remember <laughs> those ones with the little uh, round you went with your yeah, foot. yeah. You flicked the uh, red one and the, and I had a sort of a orangey browny one, and that was. Oh, yeah. the you You're talking ten pens. Ten pens. Yeah, they yeah. were. Yeah, I loved yeah. the Ten pens. Yeah. kid. So we used to draw that on. I don't know why we always chose the brown one, but. Uh, <laughs> And um, and one of the other kids' mums actually came round to our house uh, and was concerned that um, she she had a conversation with my mum, my mum later told me about this, said that she was concerned about us, boys doing this, you know, um, miming to songs with tennis rackets thing because um, she didn't feel it was, Sort of going down the right path, really. Yeah, uh, and she was right. Really, um, she was absolutely right. The, uh, she was, um, she was the mother of the guy who would subsequently be the first guitarist in TISM. So, you know, yeah, she was. She was absolutely right. She she could have perhaps argued the case a bit more forcefully, and the world would have been spared all that inconvenience. Right.
0: Did Did you know the other TISM guys from when you were in primary young? school? Yeah, most of TISM knew each other in
2: primary school. It wasn't a um, wasn't like a um, university thing. Although... Or like a monkey sort of put together by a producer <laughs> yes. kind of being. Yes, well done, well done, yes. Yes, that's right. No, we weren't. Although you could argue that, that um, it was perhaps, um, you know, we, there was a certain manufactured quality about TISM, but, you know, that's another topic. But and yes. also,
0: well, I mean, the, the monkeys were put together as a kind of for a sitcom it was a comedy, yeah. Thing that comedy and music together, which TISM and all your bands have all had an element of comedy. Yes, that's true. Um, you're doing you very well here to draw some parallels. I'd never even thought about it that way. Yeah, um, I'm uh, pretty. I'm sort of like <laughs> the, uh, the the Andrew Denton of the podcasting <laughs> world, or the Michael <laughs> his name, Michael Parkinson. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, that's right. Probing, probing,
2: sort of. Um,
1: just giving you yeah.
2: enough rope. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to Are you going to uh, give the poor listeners who don't give a fuck about the monkeys, uh, you know, lots of detail
0: about? Yeah, i We're not
2: f- going to assume people no, know
0: about it. We will. Yeah. yeah, I'll get right into that. But before right. we get into all of that, um, what is your favorite non-human primate? It's a big question, and I'm sure you've asked it, uh, been asked it many times before. Yes, <clears throat> probably. Uh, this
2: guy called Gavin Patterson, who I used to play footy with. He was a non-human primate.
0: <laughs> who who did you play footy for? Springvale, um, under elevens. Yeah. Right. Didn't I was going to say not in the VFL.
2: Oh, no no no
0: <laughs> no. Springvale um, was
2: a very successful non. Um, was VFA by uh, back in those days, but prior to that, they were in a local league and uh, they used to win every year in the in the federal league. So it was this very big competitive club and, you know, I was a sensitive artistic type, so uh, that
0: was obviously never going to work. It went on to be the uh, the, sort of the reserves for the Saints for a while. Yeah, that's right. Is it public knowledge that you're a Saints fan? Um, I'm not sure. Um, Somehow I avoided knowing that. (laughs) It's a very exciting thing to find
2: out. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't really made a big deal about it because I hate being (laughs) patronised.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't, well, I like to think that being a Saints fan has helped helped me learn humility. You know? Well, yes, um, I don't know. I think
2: the world is a pretty shit house place without having to <laughs> learn it via yeah, football. It, that's but true.
0: Anyway, you're right. Yeah, I feel like it's just going to make the uh, the ultimate glory
2: all that more sweet. Yes, and uh, you know, it's an opportunity. Uh, like, uh, I actually, there's a football story coming now, which is. Terrible thing to consider, but St Kilda played Western Bulldogs in the night grand final back when Barry Hall had a brief stint in the Bulldogs. So yeah. I'm not quite sure what era that was. Was but that sort that of um, early 2010s? Like. Yeah, uh, yeah, and um, and uh, and they um, they won, of course. And as we were walking out. Um, this bulldog supporter girl put herself in front of me so that I had to actually kind of step around to get out of her way and gave me the big finger with both hands and I was thinking to myself um, shit you know like there is a club that's even more bitter and twisted than St Kilda supporters and this is the one you know I was like there with my kids and this girl made it her special thing to say fuck off That's to wild. this family, you know. Yeah. That kind of
0: joy, I'm looking forward to that moment where well, I get to... They've had the sweet release a couple of years yes. ago, the Bulldogs, because yes. they, they waited from 54 We've yeah. only been waiting since 66. Oh, no. Were I, you around? Do you have any memories uh, of 66? No, I don't, no. Um, I was too late. But
2: um, I do remember St Kilda being... This is the weird thing. I do remember St Kilda being... A powerful team who used to beat teams all the time because my earliest memories were um, probably from about sixty eight or 67, 68. And so close, yeah. And and so and I went to the seventy one grand final. So St Kilda was this big, beefy, nasty team with Carl Dittrich in it and Cowboy uh, Neil. Yeah, Cowboy Neil, violent and. You know, so there was no none of this patronising, fucking. Oh yes, yeah, St Kilda, yeah, they're my second team. None of that sort of bullshit right. going on then. So it was I had to learn that over a, a lengthy. period I was born of time. into that because I was born in the eighties. Oh is right, so well, the, the dark ages, the dark ages yes. of the Saints. Yeah. yeah. If I had been good enough to play AFL football, that's when I would have been running around with St Kilda. <laughs> Arguably, I may have stood a chance. My dad actually rang up the club because my um, grandfather played for St Kilda and he asked, is there a grandfather, grandson (laughs) Poor, terrible, desperate attempt, Uh, but no. That's a a lovely idea. Mm. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's part of the patronising, isn't it? We we
0: should be talking about primates though, shouldn't we? Yeah, we probably should. Yes. I suppose we, we have talked about in the past. It was an AFL-related uh, primate mascot briefly. The Fitzroy before they were gorillas. the Lions were the Gorillas. Yeah, that's right. They won a, they won their last premiership as the Gorillas. I Did believe, they? in '44? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is yeah, I think the Gorillas are great. Yeah, yeah, footy mascot. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but it's um, it's up for grabs it's, at the it's moment. It's a
2: Shame they, you know, maybe that sort of eternal school prefect Damon Albarn wouldn't have, um, you know, <laughs> uh, been able to start that band if not for Fitzroy getting their game right. In <laughs> fact, Fitzroy stole a premiership off St Kilda in nineteen oh something. I
0: think it was maybe yeah, like fourteen or somewhere yeah, around
2: there. Because we won and the. Top team had the right of challenge or some fucking ridiculous rule. It's like they invent these things so that Saint Kilda can't win. You know. Yeah. Anyway, let's not. Uh, go the, down the year the after we
0: rolled old... the last drawn grand final in twenty ten, they extra stopped, time. Yeah, the extra time from the year after we yeah. were all over. Anyway, I don't, why have we gone down <laughs> this path? <laughs> um, let, let's start talking about the monkeys a bit. I found this yes. great article from an, a website called Rama. Uh, and there, there's an article written uh, on there by Eddie Dezen, which I'll link to in the uh, in the description, and I'll, I'll read parts of it, and we can sort of come in and out of it. But he says, um, in his opinion, the monkeys one of the strangest stories in both musical and television history. The story's genesis was actually in July of 1964, when the Beatles' first uh, their first movie, A Hard Day's Night, was released. The film's smash hit success inspired producers Burt Schneider and Bob. Ralphinson to cook up a very interesting idea for a new TV series. Uh, the two had the idea for a musical group, sort of like the Beatles. Long haired, yes, but not successful, rich or famous like the Fab Four. The original idea—had you heard this? Apparently, they wanted to get the Love and Spoonful. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, who hadn't hit fame yet, mm. um, but had just signed a contract for their music. So th- they realized if they made this show about them, they wouldn't be able to cash in on the <laughs> albums. Yes. So they decided to end up making it a fictional band of unknowns and they decided the band would be called the monkeys. And it says, uh, the name monkeys, apparently this feels like such a, uh, long bow, but it was derived from a 1957 Elvis Presley movie called love and you. And the movie, uh, was plot, had Elvis being exploited by an unscrupulous manager. And in one overly dramatic scene, Elvis confronts his manager and says, that's what you want, isn't it? A monkey in a zoo. And apparently that's the line (laughs) that monkeys... But it feels like that's been written in reverse, right? Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, it does. You would think it's more like... Given the, the kind of numbskull sort of cynicism that it sounds like these two... These two wise guys in the industry comes up, you, you sort of feel like they went, okay, so you know the Beatles is like a is like an insect. Yeah, uh, let's get a <laughs> let's get an animal and uh, change the spelling. You know, that, I, I I sort of feel that's you know,
0: yeah, that, you know the birds they've done it, and you've got the yeah the birds with the wire was it? Yes, that's right. right. So and that was just the thing of the time. I think so. Yeah, you know, like it's yeah. Because I I get the Beatles as a a pun on beat mm. sort of, mm. but what's the why, why change it to double? Because it says in this article it says the double E's was a semi pun like the beat in Beatles. What's oh, the? Really? I don't see the semi pun. I'm missing something. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it's a yeah. very semi. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> We're talking reverse back, backwards logic there. Yeah. 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 So then on uh, in September '65. They advertised in magazines, including the Daily Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, asking, well, I've got the ad here. Um, it says, madness, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, auditions. <laughs> Mad start. <laughs> Folk and roll musicians, singers for acting roles in new TV series. Running parts for four insane boys, age 17 to 21. want spirited Ben Franks types. Have courage to work in bold. Must come down for interview. That was the ad. Wow. It's like, it. like it, I'm stro- If I read that now, I'd be like, I'm, yeah. I don't know what you want. What are you, what are you, what are you actually looking for? Insane boys. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: you probably wouldn't get away with it, but I'd like to see it on seek.com. You know, it's every other ad has got the word driven in it. Insane would be good. Insane. You
1: know,
0: wanted. Insane communications <laughs> expert. The, so uh, this is from um, a Mental Floss article, or listicle probably more accurately, um, <laughs> uh, talking about the ad. It says uh, Bob Raffleson and Bert Schneider, the creators, uh, knew exactly the kind of guys they wanted for the new series. So the ad they took out had to reflect the attitudes of the burgeoning youth culture. And apparently, so spirited Ben Franks types, does that mean anything to you? No. Uh, apparently it, it meant... Uh, It was about a a popular Sunset Strip restaurant was called Ben Frank's, and in it, apparently, that's where mods mused over burgers and fries. Okay, Um, right, or or as David Jones called them, long haired beatnik weirdos. Mm. So so mods and what was it? Mods and rockers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I. I don't imagine
2: there were many in America. It's very English, right? I think rockers, I suppose, is American, but the mods were very English phenomenon. But uh, <clears throat> yes, I do think there was there was um, a couple of places. I think in Sunset Strip there was a place called Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco, okay, and it was a famous place where you know you would a, a lot of rock bands um, that were touring would hang out there, and that, so that was kind of a like this sort of faux mod culture um, that that you know it attracted but it certainly doesn't really it doesn't really fit with Los Angeles and warm weather and palm trees you know it's more mod is very um, is very English although quite funnily the word got transported to Australia in the 80s and was used to describe anyone who wasn't a bogan right. Um, so anyone who <clears throat> wore any kind of alternative or whatever supposedly gear um, uh, Was was supposedly called a, a mod And in fact uh, my friend Peter Minak and I um, went to the Bush Inn in, uh, in um, Paran I don't know why we went there I think we thought that perhaps we but we might just sit there And some really attractive rich girls would come up and start talking to us this didn't happen, though. Um, in you just got to sit and wait patiently. You yeah. didn't sit for long <laughs> no. enough. No. <laughs> this really big, um, beefy guy with um, neatly short, coiffured hair and a pair of white chinos on came up to us and said, are you mods? <laughs> and uh, he said, and then he, he said, uh, you're fucking mods, aren't you? <laughs> uh, what would you do if I snapped you? And uh, to which point... Um, Peter Minack replied, I would feel
0: very unhappy. And um, <laughs> at that point I said, I think we should perhaps leave. Anyway, so yes. That, sound, that sounds like a, a scene out of, uh, what's that Richard E. Grant film? Um, with Nail with and With Nail, Nail and I. That sounds like that <laughs> scene where the, the big Irish thug <laughs> comes up to him, calls them punces. A <laughs> couple of punces. Punces
2: is a great word too. I was actually talking about punces Um in the kitchen at work the other day and somebody, I used the word, I've been pouncing it. Somebody asked me, you know, what have you been doing? Oh, just pouncing around as usual. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at me like, um, What? Yeah, so
0: it's clearly like a, is out.
2: an old man
0: term, puncing. Yeah, puncing. I think punce is fun,
2: yeah. mainly maybe because of that scene, but I think it's a real yeah. fun word. Yeah, it is. It's a great word. It's not to be confused with ponce, which was a derogatory term for homosexuals. Oh, maybe he did say ponce in there. Yeah, maybe. But, but punce. Yeah, punce. Punce is kind of a, I think it's more... um. Uh, it's a more gender fluid, more uh, accepting term. Yeah, to mean um, kind of um, effetely, sort of wafting around, doing fuck all.
0: Yeah, puncing <laughs> around. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Anyway. You you also talking about mods? Does that mm. makes sense because the TISM song reference mods in Fox's Car Park
2: Boogie. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And bogan. Although <clears throat> um, I don't, re- I don't actually remember the term bogan back in the early eighties it was I don't know. I, I sort of only remember it kind of later in the eighties. So we used to call we just used to call them yobs, Yeah, basically. But as um, a big Tism word as well. Yobbs. Yob. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. I think Bogan overtook Yob
0: really. So um but but yeah Some people will <clears> tell <throat> you there's a difference. Oh really? Yeah. I, I know okay. when I was I remember when I was in high school people would talk about it. But I think Bogan is now probably fully usurped Yob. But I reckon when I was in high school there were both and someone explained it to me once that a yobo is more likely to be drinking VB, a bogan drinking uh, bourbon and coke. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, what, yeah. The yobbo will be a footy fan and the bogan will be a motorsports fan. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, how are you making... It's such, it's such a weird idea <laughs> yeah. to be like trying to put a, such a large group into two categories.
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, trying too hard like much of society. Yeah. Um, and are you aware of the term lads? lads well I mean not as in just males but but lads my daughters um, talk about lad culture right and, and I know it's,
0: it's that feels very British to me yeah but I think there's they... a website called <clears throat> lad Bible oh, right. I don't know what and I'm yeah. guessing it's probably more like the modern version yeah, of Yeah, maybe I, I think they're sort of referring to
2: private school jobs right yes. you know with sort of designer the... clothes but still that same kind of um, popped Collars on their polo shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that sort of plank headed, violent
0: conformity. Um, right. Which I do so love. Um I'm into it as well, but I find mm. it it's a yeah, it's a funny it's 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 just sort of inherently amusing somehow. <laughs> Anyhow, back to the uh the monkeys, I suppose. Well, how do we get off on that tangent?
2: I, I don't know. We were uh we were oh no, that's right. You were talking about they wanted a certain kind of
0: so yeah, mod does... type character, and the mods does that f- does that fit in for you with what they became? I do sort of picture that mop top haircut as a mod thing. Is that right? Yeah, no, not really. theirs
2: theirs is more of a sort of a Beatlesque yeah. look. The mods had um, the mods had shorter hair and very and they were all into sort of R and B, Motown right. and stuff like that. And they you know they had this big thing about the suits always being incredibly um had, had to be yeah yeah with a, a specific type i mean <clears throat> so so the beatles weren't really mods they sort of had their own look so to to me the monkeys the monkeys sort of look more like the beatles plus they've got that um which you know is all part of being a manufactured group of
0: of each of them being a Distinct character. Yeah, it's like the know. Spice Girls. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Which that's they right. weren't they really went down <laughs> a, they gave them all a sporty, you're the sporty yeah. one. Like <laughs> they made it so yeah. transparent what they yeah. were doing. Yeah, yes,
2: that's right. You have to be a bit more obvious for the kids these days. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so they had, uh, so you had, um, <clears throat> if you don't mind me uh, talking, uh, please, uh, do. doing the research here. But so they had uh, Mike Nesmith, who um, was the sort of uh, sardonic one, I suppose. And Davy Jones was the heartthrob. And Peter Tork was <clears throat> the sort of zany one. And I guess Mickey Dolans was the manic one. So and they they all had specific looks, you know, very different looks. So Mickey Dolans had black hair and Peter Talk had that sort of bowl cut and and Mike Nesmith always wore the hat and just by the way david jones is responsible for the name david bowie and uh so which is very
0: interesting cuz cuz they were so big when bowie was trying mm. to um mm. trying to break right yeah. did he even re- maybe he released an album he did,
2: yeah he, he did, the- did he did he was david jones on his first record or perhaps couple i don't know but when he sounded like um tony Newley, anthony Newley, which it's all a bit weird. But, and um, and he was, and the the name Bowie came from Bowie Knife, which, uh, and there was a show on TV called Jim Bowie. Jim Bowie, Jim Bowie, Jim Bowie. He was a bold and adventurous man, I think, something like that. And he had this was knife. He like was like a kind of a. wearing a raccoon hat, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 sort of a crocodile Dundee type character. So who knows, you know, if not for the monkeys. We might have been spared all of those terribly glowing... uh... (laughs) No, I won't won't insult (laughs) David Bowie fans. Please. He's actually pretty good, David Bowie. It's just, you know, people started to shit me after a
0: while, but... (laughs) Got got it too too big? Yeah, a little bit. Why, you don't like it when the the rock star gets elevated to genius level? Well, there is... Look, uh, I'm not saying he
2: wasn't really good, he was really good, and obviously he changed a lot of people's lives. But it all gets a bit Bruce McAvaney sometimes, right? You know what I mean. So anyway, a bit too special. That won't be happening, when I cark it, I can assure you. But uh, I've got a funny. I'm not f- bitter about
0: that. I'd, yeah, well, I wouldn't be so sure to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I like that Bruce Mac. Because we got a lot of listeners from America who. Wouldn't oh, well. understand the Bruce <laughs> Mag He's the he's sort yeah. of the most famous AFL Aussie Rules commentator, and he pretty much commentates in <clears throat> um in uh, rhetorical questions. Oh yes, did
2: you see the letter to the Sorry, American listeners, did you see the letter to the Age? <laughs> no. On oh, I have been complaining about Bruce McAvaney for his entire, but I, <laughs> but but for his entire career, but in this sort of spitting, uh, incoherent. Um, uh, frustrated way And my wife is My long suffering wife Just looks at me And this person wrote a letter Which so beautifully put it In, in just a few lines I, I take my hat off to them And it was that aspect of the rhetorical question Which fucking shits okay. me Like you wouldn't believe Just make a statement Bruce I don't care Believe in yourself Bruce yeah, if you have an opinion Just say it
0: Don't end everything in Don't you? Hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, fuck.
0: You know. uh He's having an impact, isn't he? It's a lot of everything. Nearly everything he says. Yeah. You just feel that Geelong are making a comeback, don't you? (laughs) No
2: fucking hell, Bruce. I don't. (laughs) Tell
0: us what you feel. (laughs) Sorry, I just
2: made the mic peek there, but uh, don't get me started on Bruce. I'll remember that. But we were talking backwards. uh, So that was Bowie. Uh, and then backwards to Davy Jones And um, I just need to get these points in Because clearly we're not going to talk about the monkeys during this <laughs> hour um, Mike Nesmith, you're probably going to say, was part of a famous family Oh, I, I yes. wasn't going to say that Ah, his know. mother invented
0: Tippex Right Yes Tippex, is that the Whiteout Right, yes. I know I had heard that Yes amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah so, so he, was,
2: he was loaded, I guess Oh yeah, probably, I don't know um, um, yeah, yeah, shit yeah I mean, imagine inventing that um, uh, You know, a lot of the girls at nightclubs I used to frequent as a 20-something uh, Had a lot of that on their face uh, Well, that's how it looked That sort of <laughs> gothic look But yeah, so <clears throat> Mike Nesmith's um, mum invented Tippex That hasn't got a lot to do with our story here but um it's an interesting fact it
0: is interesting as well that they i didn't realize they all had a distinct uh personality yeah yeah. but that does make like that feels like i mean was that happening before then were they one of the first manufactured bands i guess it probably had always been happening with pop music it was only around then that authenticity started becoming (laughs) the the fashion wasn't it authenticity became Latest thing, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, Well, I mean, I guess you know part of the Beatles' allure was that they had
0: distinct personalities. Yep, Um, they almost line up. I guess Ringo's the yeah, yeah, is the funny one. Yeah, (laughs) well, Paul's the the heartthrob. Yes, that's right. Uh, Yeah, I guess John is the. Mm.
2: Yeah, is is John Mickey Dolans? I don't know. And then that leaves George as as. Peter talk. No, that's doesn't, no, it doesn't work quite work. George up. is the Mike Nesmith. He's the sardonic one.
0: Right. Sardonic's so, a yeah, great it word, which I look yeah, forward to Googling later. It
2: doesn't quite fit. But yes, distinct personalities were definitely, I don't think there's any question that they they set that up to, you know, as part of the thing. I mean, the, the good thing about the monkeys, and I think the reason why we're talking about it, well, okay, so we're talking about it because of the name, but the reason why. <laughs> They're uh, available to talk about Is probably because they actually Ended up being good I mean they were, well I think they were they, They're not Sort of shit, like they, they're not Something that you would um, You know, Millie Vanilli For instance um, Unfortunately, like I've got nothing against Millie Vanilli uh, I actually quite like them, but um, You know, really You can only talk about their story Like the story is all Yep. You wouldn't talk about. I mean, can you name? I can't think of a song. You uh, wouldn't really blame it on the rain. Oh, is yes, the big yes. one. I think. Okay, yeah. But you know, they didn't really add a lot to the great tapestry no. of music history because no.
0: people might not even know. No, Millie Vanilli listening. Oh, shit. I, I imagine Sorry. I'm probably at the young end of knowing what that means. But the right or the old end? No, the young. Anyway, they <laughs> yeah. they were basically two models who were. Um, the only difference was this was in the 80s or early 90s and they mm. they didn't sing the song. So they were basically just miming songs yeah. and they it came undone at a live concert when the tape stopped or sped up yes. or something like that. And that's a whole section which we can get to. You used the word authenticity, which we can certainly
2: come back to. But, I guess that um, comes and goes a bit, authenticity. Oh, I don't know. I feel it's, uh, it's always being wielded like a great big rancid cricket bat by certain types. Um, I've always tried to keep well away from authenticity, but uh, but yes, um, some people think it's really important. Fuck no.
0: Um, so all, <clears throat> um, so we're in this uh, article here, we've got up to they've put the ad out and yes. apparently they got a total of 437 applicants answering the ads, including uh, people like... Uh, Paul Williams, I assume they're talking about the the Sydney Swans for, uh, cent- <laughs> sentiment. Stephen Stills, obviously Crosby Stills and Nash yeah, and Young. Yeah, Stephen Stills. That's Harry right. Harry Nilsson. Oh
2: right. Okay. Well, that would have been a whole lot of different different band there. Harry Nilsson was a terrible uh, alcoholic and wastrel, um, so might have added a whole different layer of of spice. And then Stephen Stills. Well, he he went on to be the epitome of authenticity um, in his early career with Buffalo Springfield Springfield and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there you go. Because I think it's worth saying that people of a certain age, um, older than me, if you can imagine that, um, would regard the monkeys with great disdain you know cuz I, I don't because i grew up where they were playing in our house and so and i didn't have the you know the young the I, young child is so innocent yeah. and can appreciate the world for what it is so i liked the songs and they had a funny tv show which i liked and they were cool looking guys what's yeah. what more is there to like really
0: so i think it would have been mm. i think if you were 10 years older then you might have been too cool for them. Well, absolutely, depending yeah, on
2: absolutely the scenario. But. well, that's right. That's that's the thing. Um, and um, and so many people for so many people, their perception of music is so uh, intertwined with where they were at the time. So <clears throat> um, it 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 absolutely um, kind of makes a lie out of trying to assess. The artistic worth of one musical artist against the other okay there are you know Nickelback versus the Beatles it's probably a fairly easy conversation but you know in the end it's so important um, when you what where you were and how old you were when you first encountered you know that's why um I couldn't understand why all these guys on Triple R who had who, like, guys like Leap and Larry L, I don't know if your listeners wouldn't know who... There's Some would, but, yeah. Certain era of Triple R guys who all loved Kiss, right? And I realised there was this kind of, what what's going on here? It's cool to like Kiss? I don't understand this, you know, but it it's because they were kids when... Right. So they didn't have that. But they didn't have that thing, which I had. So when Kiss started, I... I used to like Led Zeppelin, and Kiss were just a shit bar band with a shit bunch of gimmicks. Yeah, uh, to me, that's how I've always perceived Kiss. You know, the only thing that made Kiss different was that they spent more money on their shit gimmicks than anyone else bothered to. But fire out the guitars. Yeah, and... you know, all of that was just. Um, so I imagine my super, my superior. Um, Sneering attitude to kiss When I was a teenager Would have been what um, People in the 60s Who were teenagers Who were later teenagers Would have felt I feel about The monkeys Right
0: Yeah I reckon that's probably a thing <clears throat> Generationally Every time there's another one of those Where younger people be into it Because they're Yeah You'd say they're, Maybe they're either naive Or they're They're just untainted by Yeah, yeah. Um, Depends on which way you look at it Expectations or whatever
2: but the thing about the monkeys was that they had um, they had a bunch of songwriters who, you know, normally you wouldn't think it would come out with good songs, because it's got they got that sort of terrible odor of showbiz about yeah. it, you know. Um, and you know, I always sort of feel like whenever you whenever you sense a professional songwriter has written this song, it, you can tell somehow or other, but and and god knows one of them was neil diamond you know and neil diamond is sort of um to me is the is that that sort of epitome of show-busy songwriter type you yeah. know just something i mean i know a lot of people love neil diamond but to me there's just something a bit fucking square about the guy he just right. is. which yeah. is which is odd really because it, yeah clearly a lot of people really love neil diamond in fact uh, when I was working at Triple M, I went on. I had to go on this sales conference to Sea World.
0: Um, <laughs> what which a just... what a world that is! Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. It was people. Who, so people who don't know Triple M is like the big uh, rock rock station, station. national yeah. rock station that yeah. so based in Melbourne. I guess is that the headquarters in Melbourne? Uh,
2: no, well, I don't know what it's like now, but there was there was Triple M Sydney and Triple M Melbourne were the two big um, I think it was originally owned by I think it originally started in Melbourne as Eon FM right By the time I was <clears throat> working there it was owned by Stereo, which was a Sydney based Oh look I you know you probably get people writing in telling you that I'm fucking totally wrong But anyway so it was but yeah it was it was very much this Australia wide um, And it was Fox as well Fox FM and Triple M were all we all worked together and I just say I work for Triple M because it's easier to say. And plus it, they're, they're more shit, so it's kind of more fun. <laughs> yeah. But um, <clears throat> so, yes, we – and and so there were all these sales reps who, you know, some of whom are very nice people, but sales reps do tend to kind of attract a certain kind of <clears throat> chest-beating um, individual, you know. So perhaps, Wolf of Wall Street style. Uh, yeah, perhaps not the kind of – person I would easily uh, relate to, so I'm stuck in this SeaWorld amusement place for, I think we were there for three days or something, enduring these horrible kind of brainstorming sessions or whatever. Blue sky sessions. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, um, and the the general manager was the <clears throat> former very successful footballer and later um, president of Collingwood, uh, CEO of Collingwood, Gary Pert. Because, uh, you know, footy players all, you know, the, there were footy players all over the place in, in the world of Triple M and yeah. Stereo in sales type positions. Well, Gary was a big Neil Diamond fan. And um, so his his idea when we woke up um, on the uh, the morning after the first night, you know, the first night was all, we're all in this fucking terrible Disco thing, and they got a bloody seal out. It was animal cruelty, I'm sure. They got the seal out, and everyone's getting pissed, and it all went really late. So then, and then we had to get up the next morning and do this sort of brainstorming, which usually started with a with this um, a, a terrible thing called virtual volleyball, where you had to imagine that you had a net, you had two sides, you had to imagine you had an imaginary net and an imaginary ball. And the way the game went was that you had to call the name of the you had to pretend to hit the ball and call out. So I would go Matt, yeah, right? and then you would have to you would have to hit it back. You couldn't hit it back to me, right? So you'd have to go John, Gre- Greg, Mary, you know, whatever. And so this is like an icebreaker sort of supposedly, but it's terrifying. It's fucking terrifying because. You you're there, everyone's looking at you and you know and and there's a person standing in front of you and you get mental blank, of course. And and of course if you don't get their name right, you lose a point. So not only have you lost a point amongst all these (laughs) Uber competitive um, testosterone filled salespeople, but that girl who's quite nice thinks you can't remember her her fucking name. Anyway. So we started with, but before we started with that, his way to rev us up was to play Cherry Baby or whatever it's called from Hot August Night. You know, the one that goes,
0: good Lord. Yeah. Um, Chunky granola sweet or something Is that like it? that? I think so. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: but- maybe that's why I've got a terrible uh, hatchet out for Neil Diamond. But, but he, yeah. he, so he wrote, did he, he write
0: Daydream Believer? Uh,
2: he wrote I'm a Believer. I'm, I'm a Believer. I'm not sure about a, that they wrote, other one. had a lot of belief. They had, yeah, they did. They. <laughs> a lot of belief. And there was also Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart wrote uh, quite a few of their songs.
0: So, so you said earlier you have and still have four yes. vinyl singles. Hmm. What, what were the four? Because I, I reckon I went through their back catalogue today. I reckon I could pick out about six songs that I know, but I know yeah. super well. And then there's a big drop off to I don't know anything yeah. else. Um, we had um, so we had I'm a Believer,
2: uh, which was backed with I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, which when it, uh, when I thought it was uh, so it, that that goes I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. I thought it was I'm Doctor Stepping Stone <laughs> uh, for a very long time until <laughs> until uh, my sister bought the single. So yeah, um, then there was. Um, Pleasant Valley Sunday, which was actually written by Carol King and Jerry Goffin, right? So you know they're pretty. Um, that's some pretty hefty songwriting uh, talent going on there. Um, and uh, we had one called D.W. Washburn, which was I don't know, just this sort of little jaunty tune. And um, <clears throat> I'm I think I'm mixing up a sides and b sides, but the other one was. Um, a Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, I think. Yes.
0: I'm just looking at their discography now. So that Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You had the B-side, The Girl I Knew Somewhere. The oh, yes. Yep. Yep. And that charted top four. That made a number four in Australia. Right. Yeah. Their first single, um,
2: Last Train to Clarksville, sounds quite reminiscent of Paperback Writer. Right. Um, yes. And then they've also got a single called Valerie, which has got a really great sort of chorus, a big sort of long extended note which they harmonise on. It's quite catchy, but for some reason um, they inserted in front of it this really weird thing that sounds like they've got satisfaction by the Stones and just maybe changed two other notes, you know. Right. Um, So, yeah, there was a little bit of that going on. Of course, I was completely – that was – I was totally oblivious to any of that. It's only, um, it was only actually when you asked me to be on this show and I went, oh, I have a listen to some of the old songs. And uh, it was hilarious hearing Valerie and that,
0: yeah. yeah. And that would have been, it looks like Valerie came out in 68. Is that, that's, that's post, that would have been, yeah, very similar time as well. That's right.
2: right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, there was clearly a, a sort of a cynical. But I remember they had they had some really good songs. Mary, Mary, um, Mary, Mary. Uh, at primary school, the kids used to sing, Mary, Mary, your bosoms are hairy. Um, you can't get away with that sort of thing these days. No, you
0: wouldn't. in the school grounds. No, it's PC no, got mad absolutely. out there in the, the yeah. schoolyard. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, the kids would be all taking coding classes and. Uh, you know, playing in their eco-friendly playground. <laughs> but um, yes, American. they had a
0: hit song called <clears throat> "Randy Scouse." Yes, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. <clears throat> That's a really good song, and that was written by Mickey Dolenz. So, ah, oh, so the, yeah, they, so they started to take over. I yeah. mean, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but they yes. they did well. <laughs> so they had the four guys who who got the auditions. Right, we'll get just go through. I mean, you've basically. Going through them anyway But Davy Jones mm. He was also, We haven't mentioned He's the only British Yes Member of the band He was a former jockey I didn't
2: yeah, realise that Yeah
0: They made a good They sort of made a good fist Of his
2: shortness In the uh, You know Clever camera angles And stuff He was often filmed With the Vaseline lens As well But they were kind of uh, they, they were quite fun About it Like they'd, they'd Sort of slightly Take the piss Out of his Heart Right Thing You know Yeah
0: So yeah So He <clears throat> He was also he was in a bunch of musicals, and at the time he was uh, touring with Oliver, mm. and coincidentally appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show in '64 the night the Beatles played. Oh, so he really? was in the Oliver. Oh, okay, uh, as play, uh, maybe as Fagan or yeah. one of those characters. Yeah. Yes, and apparently that night he was on. This is '64. Beatles are breaking big, and he's a British expat. He didn't know who they were. <laughs> yeah. He was like, apparently he was sort of like, why is everyone going crazy for <laughs> these guys? So that was the only thing that got got his attention. Then there was uh, George Michael Dolans, okay, Mickey Dolans. <clears throat> yes. Did he change his name because of Wham? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Undoubtedly. Um, yeah, and he was in a TV show that we used to watch called
0: Circus Boy. Right, and, and um, yeah, so he was a child star. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was blonde in that Right, I think, I'm pretty sure oh, That's he, going back, but anyway, yes Before that he played in a band uh, on guitar, called a band called The Missing Links Which is a yes. bit primatey as well uh, Yeah, it is actually, well spotted
2: <laughs> Not to be confused with the Australian band of the same name from the 60s who were I know nothing about. Apparently, they they were cool. Or something. and it was a label which was Missing Link and a record store. Yeah. That's were right you that's around when
0: Missing? Yeah, Missing Link in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah.
2: That was where you would go to see girls wearing Tippex on their face.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to picture this tipex look. Yeah. No. It's it was... pretty scary the yeah, way yeah, I'm yeah. picturing it. Was
2: it. yeah yeah. But oh, you know, um, we
0: were very attracted to that look. Anyway. Then you had Robert Michael Nesmith, a.k.a. Mike Nesmith. Bob. Bob Nesmith. Bob Nesmith. Yeah. And he'd, uh, he'd served briefly in the U.S. Air Force okay. and was also a musician slash composer slash <clears throat> singer and yep. had already uh, made a handful of recordings under the name Michael Blessing. Right. Um, apparently he was the only only one of the four who saw the ad in the magazines.
2: Yes. I read that. I did read that. The others got it via that. Mickey Dolan's got it via his agent, and yeah, right.
0: something. So yeah, and then so much for your ad, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it, if you, if I'd seen it, obviously it's a different time, <laughs> yeah. but I'd be like, yeah. what, what are you asking for <laughs> yeah. here? And then finally, Peter Talk. He was the last to be cast, right? And he the was first suggested to leave. Oh, right. Mm. He was suggested by his roommate, Stephen Stills. Oh, right. He knew Stephen Stilts, right? Okay. And uh, yeah, which is, yeah, he was a musician playing gigs around the Greenwich Village area, in, right, which is in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the, yeah, it's a
2: sort of, um, I don't know, it's the Northcote
0: of right. New York.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. They then took a six week course in
0: improv- improvisational comedy mm. taught by director James Frawley. He now plays Danny's brother, yeah. <laughs> Danny's cousin, or whatever it is, yeah. It Play, plays yeah. now for the Hawks. And it's Another one week. for the American listeners. Yeah, yeah. Chips Frawley. Um, and then it was soon discovered that all four displayed real humor, talent, and chemistry in front of the camera, which was lucky because they'd all just been cast. <laughs> in it. Surely they figured that out before. Yeah. And. It says on the show the four would be playing in a rock band and in an unprecedented move would actually be recording songs which would be released as records and albums. Uh, the songs would be premiered and re- uh, promoted in videos that would be featured every week on the show. This is an interesting. Uh, your friend and bandmate Tony Martin was on the show talking about Lancelot Link's Secret Chimp. Oh uh, yes, yeah. And that show had a very similar <laughs> setup to this. Um, it came obviously came out later, but they also the chimps in Lancelot Link. Played in a psychedelic rock band, <laughs> and they released real music as well. Right. Okay. Um, so they're pro- they're that probably is obviously less, some sort of a. They're probably less malleable than um, <laughs> than than the boys from the Monkees. But well, anyway, I mean, mm. I think Lancelot Link was sort of the heartthrob, and <laughs> then <laughs> uh, so the series debuted. Mm. On September 12th, 1966.
2: September 1966. Ah, yeah, September 12th.
0: So there you go. So very close to
2: the Saints' yes. one and only premiership. So that might have been um, the. Uh, could could well have been the second semi final where, um, <laughs> where Daryl Griffiths lo- lost uh, his um, grip on Des Tudnam, who booted six.
0: And. But, you know, it, would, it all worked out in the end. And then, you know, in the after goals, you'd have flicked over, yeah. watched a bit of the monkeys. Well, that's, yeah, that's right. So um, I do, I think listeners, I do bang on about the Saints and 66 on this and uh, the Dugon podcast that we do. I should also say people who listen to Dugon might be familiar with you from, we did a, a whole episode about Tism a couple yes. of months ago. So if you haven't heard that episode, for context... Maybe go back and listen to that and then you'll understand why how excited everything. I am right now. Uh and the surrealness continues. Um so he goes on to say, each monkey uh assume their own character. I mean, I don't even have to read this part, you've body done it already. If you want to hear his take. Yes. He says, Are uh, they Mike was kind of the John Lennon of the group? Okay. Um yep. the intellectual leader. Yes. Then Davy was the Paul McCartney, the heart throb. Peter was Ringo Starr, dumb but lovable. So script. <laughs> yeah. And then Mickey was George Harrison, um, but wow, that. Did, but he yeah. but he says that matchup yeah. doesn't quite mesh. No, no. Mickey was the group's resident joker yes. and wackiest, whereas George was the quiet Beatle.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. After season one, it won two Emmys, one for outstanding comedy series. I didn't realize that. Oh. At the nineteen sixty seven Emmy Awards, and I wonder so. Because you know you you're familiar with the EGOT. If you win a career EGOT, it's winning an Emmy, a Grammy, an oh. Oscar, and a Tony. So I guess wow. the monkeys wow. might have won half an EGOT because I met. <laughs> they must have won a. I'm assuming they won a Grammy. Yeah, they give they yeah. give Grammys out. Yeah, so many famous photos of people leaving the Grammys with yeah, <laughs> too many to carry. No,
2: though they probably see the Grammys probably too would have cool been yeah would have been ordinary. Not cool because the Grammys were never cool, or are never cool, but but would have had that um, authenticity right. bullshit going on. I imagine. I feel
0: like you know? there's always a weird lag with the Grammys as well. Like yeah. Beck won a Grammy for best album fifteen or twenty years after his yeah his great early albums. Like they need yeah they they need to wait, and it's almost like a, they're all awarded for past works. I don't somewhere. know.
2: I have honestly never followed the Grammys. It, it I. I have retained my snobbery about the Grammys from day one. I always thought it was the No Fucking Idea
0: Awards Yeah, by... I, I think if you go <laughs> back and look at um, classic albums and the years they came out and the albums that won greatest <laughs> yeah. album, you'll be yes. um, justified. In yeah, your, in your
2: I, I think actually it was that, that same year I liked Led Zeppelin. It was only about a year that I liked Led Zeppelin, but boy did I like Led Zeppelin for that year. And that year the eagles won the grammy and right. i was just so incredibly affronted <laughs> and um uh, and of course the other thing about the grammys was that jethro Tull won best heavy metal act in some year and it was this terrible controversy and they don't
0: seem to understand what heavy metal means no no but it's always yeah anyway but the so. most palatable version of whatever the category is <laughs> is what they normally give yeah. it to because i think it is it's voted on by by the sort people. of guys who put together the monkeys, I reckon. Yeah, you know? so it <coughs> should really put the monkeys up for the award, really. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, uh, so apparently, what do you reckon they were getting paid per week? Obviously, inflation makes this hard. <laughs> yes, but they were paid four hundred and fifty a week, all encompassing. That was sort of like their their wage. I guess that seems like a fair. That would have been well, okay. Yeah, but maybe not for nah, a TV
2: show. Not given the yes, and and you would imagine. There was was there not a Don Kirshner, a Dan Kirshner involved in there somewhere? The I, name Don, Dan, Dan Kirshner. Uh I just I have this vision of Dan Kirshner. Um That is ringing a bell, Dan yeah, Kirschner. Yeah, I'm sure he's owned the company that. Oh, anyway, Dan Kirshner. But it, it it's just that classic name, um, like Don Arden, who was the who was a sort of a Svengali manager and who I think is like an English, I think it must be the word Don, you know, Trump. Um, Don Arden was a manager who was sort of famously cuntish manager um, in the sort of 60s in England. And I think his daughter is Ozzy Osbourne's Sharon. Oh, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think Dan Kirschner was uh, one of those characters that. that uh, but yeah, he's the type of person who votes for the um, for the Grammys when when TISM won uh, won, won an aria, um, won a couple actually. But um, I heard that Garth Porter from Sherbet was one of
0: the judges. Yeah, right. So I was pretty impressed by that. <laughs> who did did you get an an aria each, or is there one share? No, there's th- one. Let's what? not talk about that. All oh, right. They, are they on timeshare? Or? No, no. I've got it at home. Oh, right. <laughs> well done. Yes. So it was was it a best independent <coughs> release. Yes. And the category like the best clubman. You know, let's give it to. And that was the one that let's you sent
2: it. Les Murray up. That's correct. So- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we, but we won one in um, eighty nine, I think, as well. Right, so you know, normally people who win two arias win them for the same in the same year, yeah, because you know they everyone loves them for a short period of time. Well, everyone loved TISM for a short period of time, but it happened twice.
0: Yeah, there were two real sort of big phases,
2: I guess. Yeah, but the first time was we did, you know, we thought like we used to keep winning, we used to win all these awards in the early days that sounded like someone had just made it up. You know, a manager would say, "You've just won the." Lot's wife, best up and that's coming. Yeah, magazine. yeah. You know, and we'd go <laughs> great. And uh, and that's what it felt like when he said, "You've won this award
0: called an aria," and we went. Yeah, oh, yeah. At that point, it wasn't. I mean, is it? I don't know if it is because it is. That is the Australian Grammy. It is. That's yeah. correct. It is. It has the
2: same. And I, I gather it's getting more and more. It's you know now it's called the um, I don't know. It's called the the Facebook arias or something. You know right. the. So
0: <clears throat> they've sold but, out, man. Yeah,
2: but the thing about you know, I mean, I can slag off the Grammys um, for all I want, but when you win an aria, um, you know, um, you're suddenly you're credible to a lot of people uh, right. that you work with, at least anyway. You know, and I still drop that into the conversation every now and then. Did you know I won an ARIA? <laughs> and they you know, they go, Oh, so you were a proper band. <laughs> yeah. You were actually a real one. Yes, I was for a very short time. Anyway, but yes. How well, did we get what, on that? Two decades? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well no, just the short time we
0: were good enough to win an Aria. We were talking about um ages and, and affecting where you come into a band and you know, mm. like the bands that you'd be into, but I think also maybe the the period of the band that you appreciate the, the most? Like, I think some... Because your autism went for so long. Yes. What Tw- was it? About 20 years? Nearly 20. I remember Never Gonna Be an Old Man River. I f- fuck that name up all the time. But it's a... Yeah. I, I love it, yeah. but I can't even... But, no, but no, i But I remember in primary school, we'd <clears throat> kids sing it and get in trouble. Like, the cl- <laughs> class would be yes. singing it and the teachers be getting us in trouble. We wouldn't have known what we were talking about. We didn't know what the <laughs> yeah. words meant. But it wasn't until... Um, De Rigor Mortis, that was the first album that I bought brand new, and and I think it's sort of a bit of a forgotten album of yours, mm, but mm, I think it's a mm. great album.
2: Well, I'm glad you think that, man. Uh, I, I sort of do, it's, it's a bit forgotten amongst the members of TISM as well, I think. So yes, and you know what? A lot of people, um, a lot of TISM fans that I've met over the years all tell me that Hot Dogma is their favorite album. Hot Dogmas, yeah.
0: Mm. So I I miss that, and yeah. it's also the one that sort of gets skipped over when people yeah. go through the the yeah. albums. You go from Great and Songs to yeah.
2: Machiavelli. Well, I think it's possibly what you're talking about. I think it's because they came in at that point, right? And so when you come in when you come in on a band is very important, and it, it colors your because you know I I hated Hot Dogma and um, thought it was a um, thought it was sort of a poor poor effort on our part and um and so i could you know i it was terrible having these conversations with people who were praising me but for the thing i liked the least so that is very important i i definitely reckon that like um when you and you know sometimes you discover a band retrospectively you know somebody says to you Try this album, and they give you an album. So they have just completely randomly affected the way you look at that band forever because first. you take that album and you really love it, and so then you buy all their others, but they don't necessarily have that um, that whoosh effect, you know, like a beer at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. that. CD that you put in has had that effect on you and so the others and yet the critics are all going the ones before it were really good and this is where they lost their their way that's happened to me on yeah a number of occasions I think so yes you're right not only is where you are and what you know but
0: but also at what period of the band you jump in yeah that's right and if you're getting the chance to see them live that's going to affect it as well yes yes and then also I think often bands learn how to record better as they go. The oh, set, yeah. Like the production quality usually improves. Yeah. Not always, but
2: Yeah. There's no set rule. I mean, there is a set there is a set rule in that, you know, people talk about the difficult second album or the difficult third album, and that is very easily explained because you've burnt yeah, well, yeah. You've taken twenty years of your life to write your first album, yeah. And then, if that first album is successful, you're suddenly doing shit all the time, like playing or touring or whatever. It, you know, into certainly if you're talking about big bands that that tour the world and stuff, and your life completely changes. So, and then suddenly you've got to have you've got to do a second one you haven't got 20 years and you haven't got five minutes to scratch yourself yeah and so and people are saying we need to get this out yeah or for whatever you know like you want to put one out or whatever but so that's the that explains the second album syndrome or sometimes third album syndrome because the band is so clever b-52s are a great example um I just love the B-52s, by the way. I just want to say that because I don't think I've ever said it in an interview. I keep coming back to the B-52s all the time and if people say that I'm, you know, there's, they can see that in my current band, the Disco Machine, I'd be very happy if they make that. I've just put that word in people's <laughs> mouths. But but what the B-52s did was, well, they had enough songs, obviously, but they held some over. right. So that's the reason why... Like if you hate the B-52s, this is all bullshit now I'm talking But if, you, if you're if like me and you think they are geniuses The first album's got Rock Lobster and all these great songs on it And bang, they came back with Private Idaho on their second right. But they
0: wrote it in those 20 years presumably that led to so they, knew, they were that confident yeah, in themselves that good on we them. need a single yeah. to hold back
2: Whereas those fuckers in Tism were so uh, so um, engorged by hubris that they made a double album as their first <laughs> record yeah. and uh, left themselves with no- nowhere to go.
0: But anyway. But, yeah, I think you are... Yeah, obviously you're probably in a better position to uh, critique it, but I'd say Hot Dogma is a really good album. Yeah, and you're absolutely... It, it, you're, you know, what I have learnt over the
2: years as I slowly creep towards death is... <laughs> That it's all um, subjective, and so people come to an album with the different uh, with different things they want. And hot dogma, it, there's a lot of innate quality in some of the bits in there. It's just that my my context for hot dogma is different to yeah. what you know the people who like it. So fair enough. It's you know very difficult to be black and white when a band has a shit album, you know, that shit album can still be a really important thing in some people's lives, funnily enough. so And and also the trouble with rock music, the trouble with pop music and rock music or whatever, you know, dance music, hip-hop, all the genres is that they are, um, no one has yet been able to move them beyond the intrinsic connection with youthfulness. So, um, so you know, they are they – are, the image of the artist and their product are intertwined in a way that, you know, if we're going to call this shoddy and one-dimensional pap an art form, but compared to other art forms, you know, like fucking making movies or writing books or painting, there's – you know, the image of the person can help, but it's not – it's not part of it. It's so part of pop music. So, therefore, you're not allowed to be good 20 years after you wrote your first one. it You know, it is assumed you must be on some steady decline. Right. Uh, and, of course, I'm saying this because, you know, I've been writing music for 30 years. But I feel I'm getting better all the time. It's just that my audience is gradually dwindling to nobody, but it's
0: that's the rule. It you does, know? Fit, especially with pop music, or for mm-hmm. some reason, because I think there's I mean, there, there are artists who seem to like musicians who seem to like Leonard Cohen. People he was critically acclaimed the whole way through, and probably even had a yeah. boost in popularity. <clears throat> yeah, but that's because he well, yeah, he started out sounding like a
2: sixty-year-old. <laughs> you know, so yeah, he's yeah. very much an exception. But yeah. Uh, you know, generally speaking, I mean, obviously, if all you are is image and if, if you know, fair enough, I guess. Um, so, you know, the monkeys perhaps, well, no. Can we relate this to the monkeys? Were they all just image? Were they just the manufactured aspect? Uh, the the thing with arguable. them is they
0: have, they've got bona fide all-time classic songs. Yes. And some
2: of them they wrote themselves, which is why... The whole monkey story, I think, is a bit more interesting because they were the they were the puppet that um, broke free, or some metaphor. I can't
0: <laughs> get my yeah. tired brain around. It became a real boy. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, so uh, it says uh, so. Their records, like we talked about, "Last Train to Clarksville" is their first one. "I'm a Believer," "I'm Not Your Stepping Stone." pleasant valley sunday yeah we had that one yep they all charted and had huge sales um i was just looking at their um in australia at least uh of those their first one two three four five six seven eight singles were all in the top 14 which is a huge start apparently it sold 75 million albums Right, and you do wonder how much of that went into the
2: pockets of the four people involved. It's probably all gone to Darn Kirshner, <laughs> I feel. I think, yeah, they... Sorry uh, to sound like Bruce McAmane there. You feel like...
0: Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Fuck off. I, but I think, it, I think they didn't do so bad because apparently, at least according to this article, the money... They didn't get paid much for the TV show, but they did start making decent money when the album started taking off. But I guess it's no. still... A lot of that would have been getting skimmed off by the creators and the songwriters, yeah. so they yeah. they've got a little bit left after that, which is still pretty good money. And it's back yeah. in the days where album sales were pro- <clears throat> proper. Yeah. Did you know about this? David Jones became eligible for the military U.S. military draft after the first season, and he uh, disappeared for three weeks and starved himself, dropping several pounds. I guess it's probably something he learned in his jockey days. And the um, <laughs> yes. And then, and, and that plan worked. He ended up dodging oh, getting the call-ups. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, I would have thought you could just say, I'm a... Oh, you couldn't back then. No, Elvis was made Elvis to go yeah. in. And, and um, Muhammad Nor- Ali. Normie Rowe. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the
2: Australian yeah. Yeah, Elvis. Yeah, that's right.
0: The Australian, yeah. Uh, says, but trouble was brewing. And the monkeys' biggest controversy occurred when the news broke out that the monkeys did not play their own instruments. Sadly, this controversy was the first big chink in the armor of the Monkees' huge success, and to this day, many fans and real rock inverted commas real rock bands still somewhat look down on the Monkees as imposters or fakes, yes, inauthentic. Yes, there we are. We've hit upon the uh, the dreaded authenticity discussion. So they apparently, to combat this, they developed a big. Uh, live stage act But, but it, apparently it was true They sang their songs But a lot yeah. of the music Was played by yeah. session musicians And others Yeah that's right
2: What's fucking wrong with that Yeah and the, that was Jesus. the early albums that's...
0: Yeah And So they started playing uh, Live And they played huge concerts Starting in December 66 So the Saints Are still celebrating In the <laughs> Off season The big win uh, And then in 67 They toured around the US And the UK And in 68 Toured Australia and Japan Right
2: I wonder if that's when the Saints
0: lost the preliminary (laughs) to Carlton Anyway Yeah yeah. Can we blame Who knows Yeah David (laughs) Distracting the boys That's right Uh, Apparently on the 67 tour They were supported by Jimi Hendrix
2: Oh yeah Yeah I do remember that One of those odd ones like the Who and Hermit's Hermits Hermit's Hermits Yes And yeah, so Jimi Hendrix, I think, sort of frightened the
0: monkeys, teenage t- teeny bopper fans. He was booed um, off the stage at one y- point. Yeah, yeah. But he also said he <clears throat> laid into them a fair bit. Um, he uh, said, I don't normally like to, but yeah, right. he, had, he had a fair go at them. Right. Um, but I guess you'd maybe after being booed by their fans, maybe that doesn't help yeah. your impression yeah. of them. Yeah, that's right.
2: And, you know, Jimi Hendrix again... You can't say anything bad about Jimmy Hendrix, can you? But he was very much the uh, the uh, authenticity man, right? Authenticity didn't, type fans. He didn't even write a lot of his songs. No, exactly. They were written by the monkeys, <laughs> I believe. It. Yes, and uh, I would have preferred, I think, rather than the Hendrix. Monkeys. I would have preferred to go to The Who and Herman's Hermits uh, Just to, you know, back with the mod connection in our conversation Because The Who had a little, <clears throat> big mod following But, you know, the, at that point The Who And The Who sort of fit in as well Because they had such distinct personalities Uh They were very along those lines of having... um Four very distinct characters in there, really. Yeah, but right. uh, yes, that
0: when they toured with John—is John Bonham's the Who drummer? No, he's
2: Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Keith Moon.
0: Keith Moon. Mm. Right. So he had
2: Keith Moon, the epitome animal drummer, um, and then Pete Townsend, the sort of skinny, intellectual, big nosed type, and uh, and Roger Daltrey was the sort of, I suppose, the heartthrob, and
0: John Entwistle was the quiet one. So they were very, but. So Rod, Roger Daltrey was in the news recently. He's oh. been uh, they've been touring and he he was yelling at audience members because they were smoking a Joint and he apparently is very allergic to it. It's oh, like yeah. you've ruined my night. Apparently, <laughs> you know, I'm allergic, I can hardly sing. You've ruined it.
1: <laughs> Get on your head. So, yeah. sh-
0: imagine the Who fans would have been so shocked by that. Wait, what? <laughs> I thought if anywhere it would be here, that would be yeah. fine. Oh, but-
2: no, no, no. Roger's very straight up, a good, solid, straight up former um sheet metal worker. And but the, when they toured with Herman's Hermits, that was in their auto-destruction phase, which, you know, that's the term that was given by some fucking Swiss artist or something, but basically just smashing up their gear. And right. So I think it it would have been terrifying for these kids um, that, that were queuing up for Herman and his hermits. Um, <laughs> I mean, to, the hermits, they the, don't get the, out the, a lot. No, right? that's all right. But uh, anyway, so, yes. Be, uh, where uh well, monkeys and, and Jimi Hendrix, yes.
0: Yeah, so he, yes. they toured together. Then they they went back to record the second season of the show. The first season Runaway Success. For some reason they tweaked it. Uh and and tweaking the formula proved unpopular and unsuccessful. Oh, does it say how they changed it? It says uh a laugh track had been featured in season one and it was scrapped for season ah. two. I guess that's the big, yeah, yeah. The big thing. <laughs> you need to People be told. Have, yeah. <laughs> What's well, it? Yeah. It's sort of a bold choice, really. You wonder yeah. why you do that after having so much success. Yeah, that's a bit. But um, they were worried about the authenticity. Yes, maybe. exactly. That's the that's your authenticity. People had got in move. their head.
2: Yeah, Monty Python did that. They started with a laugh track, but you know, probably could get away with it because they were probably a fair bit better than the monkeys
0: at comedy. Right. Yeah. Well, I, dare I say I, authentic? But I hardly remember it. So it, it became big again. The Monkeys TV show and the. In the late '80s, apparently, yeah, and I remember loving it as a kid. It was one of the first TV shows I remember, but I don't remember anything mm. about it. But mm. they just sort of got up to real loose, madcap yes. adventures. Yeah, well, inspired
2: by Hard Day's Night, which you know the the which is hard to imagine all these years later, but was quite a revolutionary movie because it was just the guys in the Beatles just being a bit silly, right. So that was the template and off they went and made the monkeys. But I don't remember it being, admittedly I was in primary school when I watched it, but I, uh, the clips I've seen don't aren't kind of, you know, it's not like watching on the buses or anything. It's kind of, it's okay. It does seem like Holds up they okay. got it right. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, although there's that sort of Dan Krishna element, the music they
0: got right and the show they
2: sort of got right. So...
0: Well I mean what good a- on them that's that's a pretty two big boxes being ticked yeah, there yeah yeah of course you're probably not the third big box authenticity no, yes
2: <laughs> and you're probably about to
0: get to the phase cuz
2: we must surely be have run out of time by now but you 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 probably are, are going to get to the phase where the monkeys do try a pitch at
0: authenticity they do yes, yes. so uh, this is one other uh, big difference they they started featuring musical guests i guess this is again trying to show that we're with real artists we're yeah. with them so um at the end of some of the episodes mike chatted with frank Zappa. uh mickey introduced yeah. tim buckley and <laughs> Davey talked to charlie smalls about soul don't um, know charlie smalls but if we just rewind
2: back to tim buckley can you get any more fucking authentic than that <laughs> cunt and his fucking son?
0: Christ! Yeah, the big double. Oh Jesus! Jeff, Gem- you know? Jeff, and Tim.
2: Yep. Try you know going into any sort of bar in the Northcote area and say I reckon Jeff Buckley was a crock of shit and see if you can get away with it. <laughs> I'll yep. challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah. It's like turning your glass over on the uh, turning your glass over on the bar of the. Tarmac Hotel in Laverton. Except you would not be attacked by the same kind of person. But uh, yes, T- Tim Buckley. Well, there you go. Um, I mean, he, you know, he might be good and stuff. But it's that sort of music that that certain people like. You know, oh yeah, I'm in a Tim Buckley. Um, you know, that sort of fucking Velvet Underground bullshit. The not the Velvet Underground. I mean, they're too well known. But Tim Buckley's for your types who like to just throw it in at dinner parties, you know. Right. I'm a bit fucking better than you. <laughs> you can like your fucking Bon Jovi. I'm into Tim Buckley.
0: So there you go. They yeah, they really they, they went all in. They went hard, and they they also dropped the safe <laughs> monkey image and and got into a more try to be more psychedelic and hip. Oh yeah, yeah, Yep. And then the ratings began plunging, <laughs> <laughs> and and the show was yeah. pulled. Yeah. They made a film called Head which apparently was quite bizarre.
2: Yes. That was uh, with what Jack I was Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that's what I was referring to. Their their stab at authenticity. So it was a, I've never seen it, but apparently it's a it's a completely mystifying <laughs> <laughs> load of crap um, which you know the sort of thing Such that you fine would line. Yeah. That, that that you would get from your fucking Vim vendors or whatever um uh, yeah the uh, the psychedelic era allowed a lot of uh, rubbish and that was their i guess that was their big stab at they could have done you know they could have crossed over I mean there was a lot of crap that people swallowed in that era, but obviously they were coming from a they were handicapped you know they really were starting much later
0: than your velvet undergrounds and I think yeah I think just there was a big weight that they were carrying was the fact that they were put together by And a a producer outside of them. People want to know that the bands met at primary school in Springvale. (laughs) Oh, yes. We were so authentic. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
2: Even though Mike Nesmith was actually a decent songwriter and started to show it with songs that, you know. um, So if you're listening uh, at home to this podcast and you're interested in checking out some of the monkeys. Check out some of the songs that he wrote because they were pretty good. Um, Listen to the band is a great song he wrote that, and um, there's a song called "You You Just May Be the One." You, may, you just, There's another syllable in there, I don't know what it is. You Tim Buckley just may be the one.
0: I don't know, but that's a good song, whatever it is. But after the first album, they they started getting a bit more of the songwriting um, yeah. control, and they started playing their own. Yeah,
2: apparently instruments because they were apparently they had to with Mickey Dolenz's shaky drumming they had to um, you know get short sections and loop them together
3: but fuck
0: because he was not a drummer they just yeah, the band they yeah. cast the band. They didn't need him as a drummer because they were using a session musician. Yeah, and then when they were, you know, he, he was basically acting as a drummer. Yeah, which meant that he had to then learn how to play the drums. He was a guitarist, apparently. Oh right, yeah. okay.
2: Well, that explains a lot because when you look at the clips um, on YouTube of the series, he's sitting in a very peculiar way behind right. that drum kit. Yeah,
0: yeah. you you were the drummer of TISM as well. Well, the, as as that's much a as weird Tism sentence,
2: happened. Matt. Yeah, the, I was a drummer who was in TISM. Yes. But they didn't have a drummer, so one I, of the most
0: I, famous concerts of yours was the <clears throat> Homebake one. You see a lot, and you you got oh, yeah, on the I drums do, for a few yeah. tracks on that.
2: I did. That's right, I did do. But yes, I I um I was a drummer and in in all the high school era bands and um quickly figured out that that was way boring and bought a drum machine. So hence the, you know, I mean, t- tism might well have been. In in the in the groundbreaking uh, um, sort of uh, cabal of bands using technology, uh, you know, uh, revolutionising music and and all that, but the, none of that was the reason. It was just that I wanted to stand closer to the girls at the front of the right. Stage.
0: It was talked about as a big <laughs> big move going. You sort of went a bit more electronic in the... In the, it, yes, yeah, in the mid-90s. Mid-90s, yeah. And that was seen as being revolutionary, wasn't it? Well, I, um, there was
2: a series called A Long Way to the Top, which ABC ran sometime in the late 90s or yeah. early 2000s. It was, you know, not bad. It was a stab at trying to do, um, you know, I remember Dancing in the Street was the BBC version, an attempt to do a several-part series about the history of music in Australia. And Tism got a mention... And whenever something like that comes up, you you clench your buttocks in anticipation of what they're going to credit you for, and it's usually, you know, in fact, even getting a mention at all in such a authenticity-ridden uh, documentary was pretty amazing. But it was in, as I remember it, it was like categorized as being part of. Uh, the mid 90s era, when there were two disparate forms of music that was very popular. One was heavy guitar rock, and the other was dance music. And we were, I think, mentioned because we were one of the acts trying to put the two together. And I thought, oh, that's all right. Yeah, that's um, cool. I'll take that. I was quite happy with that because, yes, that was that was sort of what it was about, I suppose, in as much as it, it was completely random and um, fumbling in the dark. You know, it wasn't a grand concept or anything. I have to say, I did feel for a short period of time that techno was the new punk, and I'm very embarrassed now, uh, subsequently. But I thought, you know, techno was going to sort of... Techno was like the, the, the new movement and soon rock music would become irrelevant, course, I mean there was hip hop as well, which I was conveniently ignoring. But um, so I thought it was, um, I thought it was good to, and it kind of suited us because we were we were always synonymous with a drum machine. Yeah. So we were always synonymous with that whole aspect of plastic, inauthentic music. You know. So I thought it would be good to align ourselves in a kind of a non committed, non committal way with that kind of music culture. Um, not that we were ever embraced by people who liked that sort of music, you know. Um, there was didn't never... you, your
0: final ever show, was it a techno? It
2: was, yeah, which off. was great. Yeah, it was great because it was totally wrong place for us to do a final show, <laughs> mainly to people who didn't know who we were or didn't give a shit,
0: which was, was that, great. I've always wondered, was that was that the plan? Was that no, just no. a show that was booked and was booked? Nothing was booked after. But it? it
2: was beautifully it was beautifully fitting in retrospect because the decision was to not in any way celebrate the end. Right. The decision was just to go
0: off like a dog into the woods and die. Was know? the um the so there was the save autism concert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that did just... finish without encore yeah. and a kind of confused crowd. Yes, was that ever planned to be the the end? Oh no, no, that was always no, that was, no, that was just a, a, a just bit. a dumb idea that yeah, we had. yeah, just Love another it. dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I still got a somewhere in my a box somewhere around, I got a, the Beat magazine with the cartoon of TISM sort of descending on Earth Core. <laughs> it was a it's bit great like that. cover. Uh, it was a bit like that, Matt. It was you know like, I mean, you couldn't get
2: a more. Um, uh, Domesticity loving Bunch of pampered Middle class Puntzes yes Than us And so you, you know You could Cut Cut the disdain With a knife As our Tarago Pulled into The um, To the car park And some <laughs> Fucking Acid casualty Sort of Stumbled in front of us And And Our dressing room Was A tent Which was erected On a patch of grass that was so high, like it was it was nearly, I reckon, it was knee-high grass. So you opened the tent and it was just knee-high grass in there. It was this strange, I don't know what they were thinking. Like, what are you going to do in there?
0: Knee-high gonna, grass. Knee-high
2: grass. So on a patch of knee-high grass, they put a tent up. There's your fucking dressing room, guys. You open the tent and you go, well, I'm going to lose my car keys in <laughs> that shit. I'm not going in there. So you know we didn't bother to get change in there, yeah. And it was just, I mean, I, um, I was, I missed out on the festival going era. Uh, well, I didn't miss out. I was there. It's just I was on a stage, yeah. and um, thank Christ, because all that sort of, um, all that sort of, uh,
0: you know, choosing to not wash for several days—it's all gotten better. That Has it? Stuff. Yeah, I go to Meredith every year, and they, oh, okay. they've got like yep. built-in showers and and toilets and stuff now. Have they? Right? Yeah, yeah. Which you you played at a yeah. few times as yeah. root and as Tizzer? yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah. Any Meredith. chance the disco machine? That's my dream. Seeing the disco Meredith. machine at Meredith. Well, you better ring up the people at
2: Meredith, Matt. All right, I'll um, send Arnie Meredith yeah. an email. I quite often, um, I quite often get. Um, so, you know, you apply for a lot of festivals and I have had on more than one occasion the joyful experience of being uh, of them asking me, would TISM like to headline the festival? Right. And when the answer is no, um, I can't actually get a gig at the festival.
0: It's a fair drop off. <laughs> it is, isn't
2: it? Yeah. It's either if you put that hat on, you can have everything, take it off, Nothing. That's wild. It
0: yeah. feels like there's a slot there somewhere. <laughs> you do,
2: but yeah, look, I don't know. I'm I no longer really allow that to sting me like it once did. It's just life. You know, it's what I was talking about before. People don't want to know about you when you've had your turn. You know, when you've had your turn on the monkey bars, get the fuck off. On the monkey bars yeah. well played. I know. Um so yeah, it's just yeah, that's that's the way it goes. But but I keep getting better. That's the problem. So gradually, I will be doing the most
0: amazing album that no one will ever hear. I'm working towards it. Let me tell you the the third Disco Machine album. So yes. you were talking before about the second and third album, Blues. But that does that happen when you're in your fifth or sixth <laughs> band?
2: <laughs> no, because my uh, no because the that's the thing. You get you get better. Like you. Um, you know, it's. it seems this is sort of anathema to people who want to regard rock music in particular as some kind of spiritual quest and the conditions that produce greatness have to be whatever, you know, suffering or living in squalor or whatever and so the artist, through no fault of their own, comes out with genius. And so to su- suggest that that some kind of craft is involved, that some that the smarter you get as you get more, as you learn more about life, actually you can channel that into writing better lyrics or, you know, I don't know, that's, people don't want to hear that shit either. You know, they want, so, but when you're in your 20s, what do you fucking know when you're in your 20s, for Christ's sake? Like you're at uni, you're five minutes before you were at the year 12 social, Vomiting in the car park
0: It's funny how it works It works very differently in stand-up You'll see uh, Usually Especially in America I think Comedians hit their peak In their 40s and 50s Oh really? Yeah Like you'll see I mean A lot of of these are now disgraced But you you know Like (laughs) Louis C.K. Really hit big In his At least his 40s Right Um
2: well, that doesn't – I don't know, Matt. You know more about this than I do, but that doesn't seem to be the case here in Australia. No, it's probably, I get the feeling yeah. that I have felt for quite a while that comedy is the new rock because there's a whole lot of sexy comedians out there, and which is fine, like good on them and they're good and everything, but it does seem to me that Image is becoming – or has – Maybe it's getting better now, but image is really intrinsic as well. And so, the you know the era of the era of like I, I talked to Tony about this. There's definite eras in comedians here as well. He says that there's a big gap between the elder statesman point, yeah, and the hot new your beauty, you know, right? Yeah, there's no, that's, a, that's probably a, true. Apparently, a difficult chasm to negotiate
0: yeah i think you i guess you need to create a a following in that early section to mm. try to get you through <laughs> yeah. and if you if you're still going by the end then you are like yeah. i don't think many keep you know i don't think people can sustain it for in australia yeah so much smaller population yeah. and those sort of things play into it maybe
2: and i suppose i mean this is the, yeah that's right you're talking about getting a following that's really kind of important isn't like uh, apart from being the biggest thing around and you can't sustain being the biggest thing around so the next best thing is to get a dedicated following and you know I've been lucky enough to to have that so that's sustained me so you have
0: one of the most <laughs> dedicated I'm afraid autism fans I think even yeah. though I am one <laughs> I was yeah. so nervous on that do go on episode. I was sure I was going to get hate mail or something. <laughs> How but did you go? Did you go all right? Nothing but positive. Oh, hey, yeah. that's good. So people who weren't familiar with Tism really enjoyed the. They they, they reckon they could feel the passion. And then, <laughs> yeah. and I hardly got any. T- I was sure I was going to. Because I'm pretty sure your biggest hit, I'm pretty sure I said the name of the song wrong, which I did again before. No worry. He'll, I, I, He'll I, never be an old man, River. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think I've been calling it never gonna be an old Oh, all right, don't worry, fuck it. who cares?
2: I just call it River Phoenix it's River much Phoenix easier. That is easier but um, yeah, so <clears throat> like um it's an interesting phenomenon that um this may apply may have applied to the monkeys, but um you know, you recently saw these tours by um by oh um. What's the band that did "I'm a Barbie Girl"? Um, Aqua, Aqua, yeah, and uh, a couple Finger of others, Boys. yeah, of that yes. era. Uh,
0: yeah, I think there's mm. there's something about, and I think this is about. Um, it's got to be about like the demographics of your audience. You're, you're yeah. big, and you're so you've got you, you, really young people have disposable incomes, mm. so they're spending that money on albums and that sort of stuff. Mm. Then, then everyone goes into this phase where they're paying a mortgage off, and they've you know then hardly taking in new things anymore and then they get a bit older, nostalgic, and have money again. Yeah. And then they can fund – that's why you see the Rod Laver Arena, you know, the big shows are nearly always bands that have been around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And have that back catalogue of hits.
2: Well, I was just thinking about the – with the Aqua Types and everything, they probably missed out in the early days because they were popular with kids, although, you know, I mean, who knows if they were – if they were darn Kirshner products, but presumably they were writing their own so maybe they made a lot of money off the parents buying the kids things. But yeah, yeah. they would have had a terrible wasteland period. Yeah. However, you know, they now reap the benefits, whereas someone who perhaps um whose fans would be in their who in the first flush of their success, their fans would be in their twenties. So the fans would be the sort of the same age as them. Unlike that, these people now are suddenly, they're the kids that love them are all suddenly now of the age, perhaps just old, and perhaps just past the mortgage. I don't know. Right. I haven't actually figured that out, but I was just imagining that they suddenly have a, a very solid demographic that is going to sustain them for quite a long period. You know? Yeah. I think that makes sense. It's uh, almost something you should plan, you know. Start out being a kid's act and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, get it really we, young. we got it wrong. The Wiggles. Know? The Wiggles yeah, have exactly. nailed it. Yeah,
0: We Yeah. Um, we can't, geez, I mean, there's so... I'm just going through the first... Uh, the, the, the monkeys' first five years before they broke up the first time. And then they came back and they... Yeah, they I don't know really much about a bunch. that. <clears throat> yeah. um, but so... It was all starting to come to an end by the end of the sixties. The end of sixty eight. Peter Talk bought out his four year monkey contract, right? Which is, I mean, as an idea, is pretty wild in <laughs> yeah. itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Mike left the group in nineteen seventy. Um, and the fi- according to this article, anyway, the final gig for Mike, Mickey, and Davey was a Kool Aid commercial. But <laughs> the only thing Australians would know Kool Aid for yeah. is drinking Gym, the Kool Aid, Jim. Jones, Jim Jones, and Jim Jones in Guyana. Yes, which we did a, a do go on episode about. Oh, that did as you well. really? So yeah. So I mean, it has it's entered the vernacular, hasn't it? And as yeah. yeah, don't drink yeah. Kool Aid. Yes. And apparently, it wasn't even Kool Aid. Oh, it was really? Some other thing, but yeah. don't drink the Kool Aid has become the shorthand yeah. for don't don't fall for it. Basically. Yes, that's right. Don't don't believe the hype. Yeah.
2: Don't buy
0: what's his name Buckley, Jeff Buckley. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> go on. Uh, and then. They played. A, uh, Davy and Mickey played gigs. This is back to the article, made a few recordings as a twosome. But according to this article, the magic was gone. <laughs> and then they, yeah, they sort of period, periodically came back together in different formations. Three of them, occasionally four of them. And, yes. And I guess that was a bit of the thing of we've got these songs. It's tour them and people wanted to see them. They toured in huge stadium shows as well. And but in the end, uh, Davy Jones passed away unexpectedly uh seven years ago in twenty twelve and then this year it was one of the other members part Peter Talk passed away yes. a couple of months ago. It
2: would have been fitting if Davy Jones had tumbled overboard on a ship and because um Davy Jones Locker is is referred to in Siemens terms as no,
0: yeah Davy Jones is big Bowie. Yeah the I monkeys That's and, right. and pirates and
2: yeah Davy Jones I think Davy Jones is the devil. So right. Davy Jones' locker is, you know, when you cark it by, by drowning, you're in, you're in Davy the Jones. devil's locker. Yes, Davy Jones' locker. Wouldn't that have been a bit like the guy who played Superman, supposedly jumping off a building? Um, the sort of fitting black way to go. But it, no, obviously he didn't. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Well, We're all pretty yeah. disappointed about that. <laughs>
0: David Jones a yeah. missed opportunity yeah, there, that's mate. That's right, yeah. Um so in the end they had four number one albums, five gold albums, and around sixty five million record sales. Um so yeah, that's that's the story of the monkeys. Like I say, they did they it didn't end there, but that's that's yes. basically when they where they ended. Yeah, There's, I'm forgetting all these stories I was going to talk about. There's apparently, which I probably shouldn't, but um, some of the members of the monkeys were actually around for key recording sessions for the Beatles, and they're in. Oh, really? Like, um, Michael okay. Nesmith was there uh, during the recording of A Day in the Life, apparently. Yeah, right. And and they all sort of went over and just try to hang out with them, and um, and apparently they got on, you know, relatively well. Yeah. And, yeah, which would have been it would have been a kind of surreal for the Beatles, being like, "Oh, you you kind of only exist because you're a kind of like a <laughs> yeah. you're almost like a spoof of us."
2: Yeah, <clears throat> hard to imagine being somebody like being in the Beatles. It would be how you could not just think that you were God. I'm not sure, but um, I don't think I'd like to go back in a time machine because that era feels. You know, when you hear those sort of things, it all sounds so. Cool, doesn't it? Like, yeah, the cool people all hanging out, you know, at the when they they filmed, um, all you need is love. You've got, you know, Mick and Marianne are there and sitting there banging a tambourine or something. All these cool people in really cool clothes and you know, hanging out at the Scotch yeah. of
0: St. James. Love to see just before when the cameras aren't rolling, yeah, yeah, because. Uh-huh. So yeah I I just don't think
2: it would have been quite so cool but uh, in my mind it's it's sort of
0: vaseline lensed it's you know it must have been this amazing time Yeah and I I think that occasionally and then I remember you know like I wouldn't want to be stuck there because of like <laughs> um things like uh, medical advancements and um, <laughs> Exactly yeah exactly uh, food food um, yeah food pe- people's rights yes, knows, sm- yes. Smoking indoors yeah. is always, would be a weird <laughs> thing to go back to. But, you know, maybe I'm yeah. overthinking it. I would oh, still go well, and hang out with the Beatles for a bit if I could.
2: Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, they wouldn't have, playgrounds wouldn't have that nice
0: sort of soft rubbery shit yeah, you know <laughs> yeah yeah uh, sort of just chip bark or yeah, gravel yeah no yeah. You, exactly you so you talk a bit about the monkeys sorry to keep dragging this on feel free to bail whenever no, no, you want it's, to it's fine but the the monkeys is a an early um influence almost the beatles is something tism did reference a lot mm. is that was that front of mind where you think like your last album was a riff on a beatles beatles album you yeah. dress up as with the Beatles names <laughs> yeah. above your heads, and yeah, well, in that, yeah, I suppose they were um for for the
2: era, it you know it's no longer relevant now, but for the era that we were around, they still had the <clears throat> um iconic status of being the the greatest pop group ever, um, and so. It wasn't so much that Obviously it was. the Vanga Boys have taken yeah, that's over. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, exactly, but um, yeah. So I don't sort of feel that it was conscious or it was <clears throat> or or. But they did influence the way we liked the the kind of music we liked. I think so. Subconsciously or or unconsciously, we um, were affected by that. So we always tried to write <clears throat> sort of songs that were that had strong melody and you know if you want to analyze it in that way that was that was certainly an influence yeah the idea that a song should um, get big in the chorus and have and then you know be concise and melodious and make its point quickly none of that was like we didn't sit down with a set of rules but that's what we grew up thinking was great thing so I suppose in yes in that sense it was a subconscious influence but I wouldn't say TISM was influenced I wouldn't say I would say that TISM set out to be not like anybody else yeah that was the plan I don't know if we managed that but so it was you know I often used to get asked about influences and all of our influences were negative influences we don't want to to be like that yeah yeah, and that that was <clears throat> most rock bands, I suppose. Certainly was um, certainly was cool or, or respected rock bands. The era that TISM came out of, particularly for me, was when I was in my twenties and going to you know aspiring to be a cool person. I would go to inner city venues and it was just happened to coincide with an era of the most pretentious music that melbourne has possibly ever made known as the sort of post punk era where you would have this kind of um experimental shit going on or you know confronting music yeah. you know i used to go and see all of that sort of thing is that is um, that like the boys next door and stuff yeah like yeah that? they were well yeah i mean they were they were yes exactly they were they were like that and um ludicrously hunters and collectors were like that for their first probably four or five years until they did a sort of bizarre about face and became you know every Bogan's favourite pub rock band singing at the grand final every other year I know that's right it's hard to figure that out but boy were they pretentious in the early days or maybe they weren't personally but their audience was it was more the audience I think not so much the bands I think it was more the the people that were standing around us in these venues, but also it was listening to Triple R and, you know, like listening to some person being interviewed who's having their EP launch at the tote next Tuesday night, talking about it as if they've just written fucking pet sounds. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was a, that was kind of an influence as well. I'm, I am depressed to say that in a, in a, um, a moment, I think, of res- resignation um, and, and kind of bitter, grim realisation um, that Disco Machine's second album was usurped uh, on Triple R's Album of the Week by a band who sound like they really fucking love the Velvet Underground. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, some things don't fucking change. That's exactly the sort of band that Tism started to kill. You know, right. that was our, um, that, that they were the sort of bands in our target and they're still coming out. Those bands have never heard of fucking Tism or indeed the bands that the nameless hundreds of bands that were on Triple R when Tism came out. Who all fucking sounded like that? You know, they they might sound different, but their audience is all full of people who really want to be John Cale, you know, or fucking Nico or whatever. Sorry, where did how did we get started on that? Where were we? I don't know. Don't but it was fun. I love a rant.
0: I love a rant.
2: But uh- <laughs> oh, we were talking about the Beatles. Sorry, yes, and the influence. Yes, and the negative. Sorry, yes, that's right. The negative influence. Now it wasn't really as ne- negatives, probably a harsh word. We we just thought it was kind of funny that these people were so pretentious, and it was um, intensely amusing to us to be the opposite
0: to that. I just found Don, Don Kirshner, was ah. a, he was a big player. Oh, good, thank um, God. Otherwise, uh,
2: so much you would have had to have edited out.
0: Aka the man with the golden ear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Very best much. known for managing songwriting talent uh, as well as successful pop groups such as the Monkees, Kansas and the Archies. So the Kansas. Archies. Kansas was a big folky. Kansas prog, world prog. Prog, yeah. yeah. There was a guy in it, it looked like you actually. Really? Yes. <laughs> I know him mainly because Will Ferrell must be a fan. He's, oh, he's yeah. It was the credits were rolled <clears throat> on a couple of his movies. A Kansas song was played. Hmm. Um, and I went out and bought their greatest hits after I saw one of them because I loved uh, Dust in the Wind and Carry On, my, my wayward, wayward son. son. Yeah, one of his films ends with that. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> so a really good band. Now, those two songs are so different from each other, but that's amazing that Dan Kershner.
2: Yeah, I know that doesn't fit at all. The Archies, of course, the story goes that, and I presume it was Dan went, fuck this monkey's shit. They they rebelled.
0: Let's. Do oh, one without humans. That you know? makes sense. You, yeah, that's right. So the Archies were the first um, cartoon yes. band to have a number one hit with "Sugar, Sugar." Or was that them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sugar Sugar. Which I really liked as a, a song. That's a great song.
2: Um, and um, their TV show, um, which had a had a theme song, as did the Monkeys. Which I, um, you know, I am. Uh, I now have a disco machine theme song, which we we play, which. We'll be on the next album. Um, I'm very mindful of those bands that had a, you know, there was Hey Hey with the Monkeys and the Archies here. (laughs) Was the Archies theme song? theme song.
0: Band of the song. I mean, we've been Saints fans, you know, every team's got a theme song. Yes. You play it after your big wins. Why didn't the Velvet Underground have a theme song, you know? (laughs) Nothing to celebrate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you able to talk about the new album at all? About uh, any of the because I know any of the people are gonna be on it or anything like that. Are you uh, trying to keep no, that I'm, all I'm trying to keep that all Fair yes,
2: there? Will hopefully be lots of great people on it, but it's still I'm very excited. a long way from the being lineups done. you have uh wild. Well, yeah, that's really weird and surprising. It was sort of the first um it, it it's very much like um being on Tinder or something, you know, putting it out there and uh Seeing if I get rejected, and I've generally picked, I've generally picked people who I think I'm a chance. <laughs> we narrow the field down, and um, uh, but but some have surprised me. So I would never have thought of asking. Um, no, I can't say it. I, I, no, I won't go down that path. Just in case they don't end up on that. But there's somebody on this next album who I didn't expect um, because they're a bit younger. So you know that the people, <clears throat> the people on the two disco machine albums are all pretty awesome, but some of them are some of them are pretty obviously were were, you know, kind of from my era or perhaps a little after my era. In particular, comedians. I found that with tism, um, comedians, more comedians seemed to like tism than people in bands. Right from, from just from my. From that era, but subsequently, like most things that that are reviled at the time, they come around and become okay. So I get the feeling that, well, not so much musicians of today because they'd never have heard of tism, but certainly musicians of the last maybe maybe say five to ten years ago seem to be a bit more glowing about it. <clears throat> so, but generally speaking, comedians were very quick to go, yeah, um, great, you know. So. Which was, which was lovely because – and plus it sort of suits me because um, I like the idea of having people on my records. So like I'm trying to be the gorillas, you know, that's what I'm trying to do, except a sort of Aldi version and clearly I, my name sounds like Damon Alban but I just don't have the looks. And just by the way, what, what has Damon Alban got to complain about for Christ's sake? He spends his whole time – Oh, so melancholy. Is it because he's the guy who's always had everything and realizes that he's still not
0: happy? Is that what <laughs> depresses him? Anyway, but the, I, yes, yeah, I feel like that must be hard because he was he was big, young, I guess. Blur was I imagine he was quite young when they got big, and he's sort yeah. of never been yeah away from the no. Well, fuck, you know how many
2: people in a famous band go start another band which which triples its sales. But even before Blur, you just look at the guy and you think, yep, you would have been the lead role in the fucking school production <laughs> and you would have never, ever had
0: to ask a girl on a date. So,
2: I yeah, anyway. I I'm just, looking at, just him.
0: going through the last album, uh, some of the names on there. Tony Martin, Ella Hooper, Henry Rollins, Josh Pike, Celia Picola, Adelita. Yeah Quan from Regurgitator Sean McAuliffe Yes Sean McAuliffe's obviously he, Was he a, Did you know him as a fan? Because he covered At the end of one of the Madness yeah. Hell seasons He covered one of Yeah Chisholm's Which tracks. was
2: amazing Yeah No I didn't um, I only knew that we. I, I knew him Because we'd appeared on a show I always get them mixed up It was either fast forward Or full frontal he's played full a, frontal a, maybe yeah, yeah He played a character called Andrew McGain or something uh, David McGain. David McGaughan Yeah yeah who was this sort of nerdy guy and, and Tism appeared um in that show. So um so I sort of had that that connection, but um I obviously he's quite good friends with Tony. So I and I've always just totally loved him. Uh you know, everything he's done. I just think he's great. So I just sort of see Tony's great because I can go to Tony, do you reckon, you know, <laughs> fucking Sean or say yes? Well, you know, you can only ask. So go, you know, through Tony. So it's like, it's like when, um, it's like when Mary Calais's mate rang me up in uh, at, when I was at school
0: and said, "What do you think of Mary?" Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of just just shaving off a little bit of the putting yourself out there. Yeah, yeah, you're, exactly. You're putting a portion of yourself <laughs> out there to yeah. someone buffering so, you from the actual yeah that's right so but
2: it turns out that he yeah he um he really likes he was a fan of tism and so th- that was fantastic and um and so most of the people to to certain degrees were uh, you know even henry Rollins has apparently got uh, great trucking songs in his record collection so awesome. um so there you go but um so i've been very lucky of uh, and uh you know i've strategically tried to not ask people that um, will reject me. Uh, so, you know, I haven't, I haven't been successful with all of them. I nearly got Steve Kilby, but somehow that just got lost in the wind. Oh, that would like, fun. Yeah. He replied to my email and we were talking and then he just disappeared. Yeah. Presumably, hopefully he's not in Davy Jones's <laughs> locker. Um, so, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work. And I, I've always really liked um, Susie DiMarchi of Baby Animals. Oh yeah, great voice. Yeah, I just, uh, I just think, for, you know, I don't know. I just think she, her, as a singer, has been supremely underrated in Australian. Yeah, it's a f- music it's history. A
0: funny, yeah, it's a funny spot where they've landed. Who can put the finger on this elusive formula,
2: Matt? If you know, if you could bottle it, but, but yeah, she. Um. So I, but I think I went around, went about it the wrong way. It's, it's always better if you, if you get. A direct contact with the person yeah so on the occasions when i've gone through a manager yeah um it hasn't turned out but but yeah so they you know there there were a few wasn't like they went you know was more like the i got a good reaction but then it sort of came to nothing and i have found also that by and large comedians have been a lot easier to nail down to do it uh Musicians have taken ages. Yeah, right. Um, don't know why. I mean, comedians have every bit as strong a reputation for recklessness and <laughs> yeah.
0: self abuse. But uh, I think it's that's changing. I think comedians are all pretty relatively um, straight these days. Are they really? Oh, okay. relati- I think they so take things a bit more seriously. You maybe. don't get that sort of John Belushi. No, kind of nowhere near as much rock and roll excess kind of character. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I guess you, you need that to be your stage persona or your stage yes. thing. Otherwise, it's how do you pull it off? Y- yeah, well, I don't even... on you
2: off your honestly, chops. Yeah, I don't... I mean, it just it goes to show probably that rock music is uh, at at some... In some corners of the rock music canon, it is a shallow and pointless art form because how, how else can bands be successful who are just... Wasted the entire
0: time. I think know. that people, it's almost like it becomes a, a, a mythical thing. People love that. I think people are sad mm. when they realise that Keith Richards isn't actually still <laughs> drinking bourbon straight. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they're backstage drinking tea and stuff.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I suppose I don't know. I mean, how do they? Maybe the uh, maybe playing a guitar becomes so um, such a. F- uh, um, physically um uh, inherent in your psyche you know that you can do it
0: when you're flat out and I yeah no but um yeah, yeah i guess that's true anyway yes um anyway i don't know i like a you, you're it's almost not the kind of thing where you're gonna have to hang up not me but um <laughs> <laughs> this is the 50th episode so it oh, makes okay. sense that it is a sprawling, uh, obese celebration of, of all that is uh, non-human primates, <laughs> as we've done, because a band yes. is named after some. But we, what we normally do towards the end, so talking about the monkeys, we normally uh, give the subject a, a score, a rating, with the unique system to the show, I believe. You give it how many bananas you give. So I guess the monkeys as a whole, how do you rate <clears throat> them? How many bananas do you give them? And how big is the bunch of bananas you're giving them out of? Um, I'd I'd say um, I'd
2: say a bunch of ladyfinger bananas. So yes. they're not the full banana. They kind of, uh, you know, they uh, had other people writing their songs, but but so and and you wouldn't probably sit down and listen to the monkeys' albums one after the other, but in small doses, very sweet. Um, so yes, a, a small bunch of ladyfingers would All be right. my.
0: Assessment. No, I don't think I don't. I'm trying to think if anyone's gone a different um, uh, breed of banana yeah. before.
2: What's with the red tip ones? Red tip ones. How are ones, they different? They're
0: eco. They're more sustainably oh, farmed, okay. I think. And then the green tipped ones are something about frogs. They're safer for frogs. <laughs> anyway, I don't know, right. but I mean it, it, that worked on me for a long time. Like that red tip. <laughs> if I'm yeah, a good yeah. person, I yeah. ate the red tipped ones. Okay, right. And now I'm not. You know, I'll, I'll eat any banana. Yeah, I'm becoming <laughs> yeah. old and jaded. I'll eat any <laughs> yeah, old bloody banana. Absolutely, I reckon I give them my. Th- it's hard to beat that as a score. A uh, bunch of. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna agree with you there. A bunch of lady, if you don't mind. Not sure. A bunch of lady bananas, hmm. Hmm. lady finger bananas, and then uh, the other thing we talk about is uh, in the first episode of this show, Andy Matthews, a comedian and also some sort of a scientist, I believe, and he told me that humans and chimps share ninety eight percent DNA. So we talk about how much of ourselves we see in the subject uh, in terms of a percentage and mm. what, what do you see, what do you feel in common with them and, and what's different between you and them? Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, the main
2: difference I think is that um, I'm not cute uh, and um, little kids would never have loved me. Um, but I see a lot of do, similarities. Do you remember
0: me saying that uh, the kids at St. Paul's Primary School used to oh, sing yes. this song? So. The,
2: yeah, that's true. Yeah. God. <laughs> Um, well, you should try being a teacher in a school when that song comes out. That uh, so I had the kids following me up the corridor, um, singing that without song. knowing. Well, oh no, they knew. They knew yeah, right. yeah, they knew. Yeah, so it
0: was always sort of. Um, How many of you were teachers? Two. Peter's a teacher. Yeah, two. You're a teacher, right? And so, everyone else is v- various other various other highly
2: paid middle class upstanding yeah. uh, people. Um, so yes, it was. Shortly after that, that I quit teaching. Right,
0: And made it too hard. Well, it was one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of a bit silly. And um, then you started going to Sea World. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should have stayed up. in
2: teaching. Yeah, yeah, the you know our conferences would have been uh, just in one of the in the maths room. It'd be better than hanging out with sales reps and a seal, and uh, Neil Diamond. So, But similarities to The monkeys, I, I feel that perhaps my career has had a similar kind of trajectory, a very exciting start and an obscurity for the last
0: uh, 20 years, which was, is okay. And I was just looking at their discography. I made it sound like they just briefly got back together a few times. They actually released albums in 87, 96, and then two in the last three years, including oh, yeah. a Christmas album in 2018. I actually
2: think I remember reading an article about how one of their recent albums was not bad. It was expected to be pretty bad, but it was okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. it might be the 2016's "Good Times" exclamation mark. <laughs> Sounds fun. Madness! Got, I reckon one of my favourite Christmas songs is a Disco Machine Christmas track.
2: Oh yes! Uh, I hope you get laid for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yes, with with the wonderful Liz Stringer, um, sang on that one. Does and, that uh, does
0: that get out you, uh, at the are Christmas you aware show? Well, what did do, has it got any traction around Christmas time? I haven't had any calls <laughs> no. from Big W or anything <laughs> no. to put it in the ad. Strangely, no. I you know
2: I've been as cynical as I could possibly be, and no one's buying. Yeah, but, I think yeah. it was
0: putting getting laid in the title. It's probably Might've... what it was.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, really, yet another career move of uh, sabotage. But that's all right. Um, you know, uh, I did actually say that to somebody once. Um, you know, I couldn't think of anything better to say. So I went, I hope you get laid for Christmas. And we I mean, oh, you know that's something in that's that. A very warm sentiment. I think I'll turn that into a, you know, it's hard for me to be, um, it's hard for me to be humble and caring and warm. So I have to have some kind of evil twist yeah. to it.
0: So there you that, go. And it's kind of a, the phrasing. I was trying to, I was thinking about it before. I'm like, you can't say, I hope you get fucked for Christmas <laughs> or. I hope you get rooted. Well, that's for Christmas a different or kind of yeah. song. That may well be. So laid is one of the very few boned. I mean, not yeah. there's nothing else no. that
2: really works. Laid is quite yeah. I think laid is well. I I'm sure there's there's always people waiting to be offended who will be will find something in that. But I think laid is gender non-specific. It's a gender non specific. It's uh it's a sort of friendly uh, It's very it's friendly. A, it's a restful term. Yeah. A restful term that's- and Sounds you know, awesome. get laid. It doesn't imply. And
0: a happy new year. Yeah, right? yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I, 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 hope so. Anyway, I think rooted's not bad actually, but unfortunately, rooted has also got the connotation as has fucked, which is it also implies. Yeah, get in, in some form of bad trouble.
0: Yeah. So rooted getting... is a. That's another big. Well, it's obviously a word you you you're into. You remember? Yes, root. There's <laughs> yeah. Uh, Get it, got a root out of it. Yeah. And root is such, such a one of your classics. Uh, yeah. Was
2: always been, so, you know, I like that sort of coarse, uh, shrine, um, vernacular that really makes a beautiful and consenting physical act, uh, <laughs> yeah. drains it of all its, um, significance. I think root has got a Perfect. such a great quality to
0: it. know. I think it's very regional. I I believe it's yeah in America it means support yeah. rooting yeah, for your Yeah, root, root for. Yeah, I know, that's right. Yep,
2: and you know these days people don't talk like that, so um <laughs> root it's like, no, yeah, yeah, let's bring it back. Uh, even, you know, the, I used the word dag on the title of my last album and uh, I feel even that is me giving up and just Using old man's language,
1: but I think what that the was fuck,
0: that's you know? also part of the point of it, right? Get your dag on. It is, yeah, it's it, it, true. It's sort of a self-fulfilling. It is exactly. It's what you know. You're doing what you're saying. If
2: you can't do that when you're my age, fuck.
0: You're a victim of a terror. It's a tragedy. I if think you're still a victim of fashion if you can't. I've heard Nick Cave talk about that, right? He has to put on a suit. He knows that he can't go down the shop really? to be seen in a, in a t-shirt poor old Nick. Show. Yeah, oh. I'm sure I've heard him say that. In an interview, really, that he'll yeah he'll get up and put his suit. Jacket on for Tony. Tony
2: Martin and I uh, joke about how Nick Cave is ideal for any situation. He's the he's the one person. Maybe Keith Richards is a bit like that, but it's funny. Any sentence is funny if you insert him in the the minutia of every day. Right. So.
0: Nick Cave puts out his wheelie bin. To yeah. me, that's a funny image, you know. That's right. And that's the mask that he's not able to drop. Yeah. It's only funny because he's never dropped it. Yeah. And he feels like he can't, I guess.
2: No, exactly. Poor old Nick. <laughs> I uh, I used to date a girl who was friends with Robert Smith of The Cure. Right. And um, nearly achieved my aim of getting her to, because he came to her house, he went to her house once when they were on tour uh, for morning tea and, uh, I, you know, I kept saying all the time, is he going to come this time, is he? you know, because what I wanted to do was to turn up um, with a footy and get a photo <laughs> of having kicked a kick
0: with Robert Smith. That
2: would have been the greatest photo in all of rock history.
0: I'm sure, I'm, is there a weird photo? I'm, I'm picturing a weird photo of him in a, like a soccer jersey. Oh the, really? On the cover of a like an NME magazine oh, or something. Yeah, but it's he's just not like looking. Yeah, just looking <laughs> weird. Yeah, he's a bit like that too. You know, he's got that sort of although he's he's committed to that big hair and yeah, it's that sort of eyeshadow. persona. But yeah. yeah, Nick's Nick's ideal. You
2: really, you know, you just wanna you just wanna catch Nick cleaning the bathroom. You know, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's what you want really. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of sniggering that went on when we went through customs with on the big day out tour in New Zealand and we all looking like accountants went straight through and as we went past we could see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds being filtered over into a <laughs> yeah. extra discussion. You know?
0: Right, okay. Uh, it was just one of those immature moments, you know. Yeah. Immature moments. That's fully incognito. That's, yeah. You've talked about how you you don't necessarily love that part of Tism being... Incognito. Inc- incognito looking back, but obviously there were some bonuses. Well,
2: well uh, but, but it wasn't just that we were incognito. It was that we didn't look like Nick Cave anyway. You know right. what I mean? Like, that's the thing um, with his, you know, band members all looking all carrying off that particular look. But we, you know, the, um, I mean, I suppose if we had been famous for being who we were, it would have been different. But certainly on a plane full of artists on the big day out, you could spot the members of TISM um, because they looked like they were normal passengers, right. you know what I mean?
0: so Were, were the other yeah. bands familiar? Do they
2: know who you were? No, not really. I sat next to a guy who was the lead singer of a band called Rancid. Yeah. And he had Tim a... Tim Armstrong, Yeah, Tim yeah. Armstrong. And he had a star-shaped mohawk, which kept brushing me annoyingly every time he turned his head. Yeah. And he, of course, was reading American Psycho, of course. And I was reading probably, I don't know, um, um, you know, um, Shane Warren's autobiography or something. I don't know. And uh, he... He he asked me. He said, are you, "Do you are you working uh, with the big day out?" And I said, "Yes." Yeah, you know, couldn't be
0: bothered. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. So yeah, wasn't really. um uh, but it sounds like he was hmm. nice. Took an interest. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah,
2: he did take. I an always interest.
0: assumed they'd be nice, nice fellas.
2: Yeah, they seemed nice. I don't nice. know why, but
0: yeah, no, he did actually make the, the look, effort. He yeah. did make
2: the effort to talk to me. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't really get. We didn't really me with the other people. Uh, you know I didn't get led into Perry Farrell's
0: hotel room when they are having a after party right that would have been why oh you tried to, and they
2: yeah, yeah, there was all the you know oh
0: are you going to perry's
2: but um <laughs> but no my my famous story is that I said i I told the girl on the door that I was Wayne Carey, the famous Australian footballer, that's all bullshit, of course, yeah. Actually, I had on Josh Earl's podcast. He he asked me that question because it's that sort of truth or dare thing, and I had to
0: say it was true. Right? It it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it was true. What as, as true, true and what is truth? what is you know? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, if you commit to it, you can yeah. make, you can make that true. Now, well, let's stop this. Well, the last thing I got to do before oh, we yes. close up is um, the Patreon supporters. It's the the people who help oh, yes. make this <clears throat> show happen and other Good shows, including Do Go On. Uh, which you should check out that TISM episode. Yes. Um, and I'm talking to listeners now. You do yes, not no, need no. to do that. But uh, the <laughs> um, they can go to patreon.com slash do go on pod and you can support us there and you get different rewards and bonuses like extra episodes. But also you get your name read out with your favorite primate. This is going to be the most uh, primate-y part of the whole <laughs> show. So I'm just going to read four of the supporters out now, including Grant M. Venitsnik. Not there's not a single pronounceable supporter. Really? I, well, I'm just not a very right. good reader of names. Vinitsnik? It's a great name, Grant mm. M. Vinitsnik. He says, uh, would, would for sure have to say the orangutan and that they are increasingly suffering from habitat loss is truly a tragedy. Thank you, Grant. It's one of the rare, sincere <laughs> messages. I appreciate that. But, yeah, it is sad stories with the orangutans, with the palm oil yeah, stuff. right. Nestle apparently. Oh, really? Apparently, they will not. They will not stop. <laughs> Nestle will not stop until every every orangutan is dead. Yes, Milo. Every can of Milo you um, consume and that healthy, that healthy drink that strengthens children's bones. Yeah, it unfortunately it crushes those go. of our orangutan <laughs> right. brethren. Right. Uh, but thank you so much for your support, Grant. Also, John Cole. Oh, I just said unpronounceable yeah. names. That's a pretty pronounceable mm. one. He says the Japanese macaque or yep. macaque. Uh, simply for the badass photography they are associated with, and their fascinating hierarchy, and also one is an assassin. So there's that. There's a Marvel character called uh, Oh, really? Um, Hit Monkey, <laughs> and it's a <laughs> Japanese macaque that goes around killing the killers, which is oh, wild. Well, no, that's yeah, That's mm. Mm. the wild world of Marvel. Mm. Thank you so much, John. Uh, Huey Herbert he says the Myanmar snub-nosed monkey purely because one told me. How I would die one day and I am now in its debt. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Huey. And that's... Um, He's should... a deep thinker, that Huey. Um, <laughs> the Myanmar snub-nosed yeah. monkey. They are full-on looking if you check them out. And finally, oh. Real Insights, which I imagine is not uh, his birth name. But anyway, Real Insights says, Mine is definitely that little fella wearing a coat that was found in, at an Ikea. Man, that was weird. But adorable. Do you remember that? That was this weird thing. It really blew up in the news about four no. years ago. A monkey turned up at an Ikea wearing a, like a mink coat <laughs> and no <laughs> right. one knew what it was about. So they can't write Shakespeare, but mm, yeah, that's they next know, best. They know fashion hmm. and uh, Swedish furniture. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Where can people find you if they want to uh, look up the disco machine?
2: Yeah, uh, that's oh, uh, probably DamienCowell.com. So Damien with an A um, and... That that sort of will lead you to the Facebook place. Uh, I'm not really very good at promoting myself. Yes. So, are there know, any
0: shows coming up? This, there this might be a show at the.
2: Uh, well, we're thinking about a Christmas show. Oh, great! At the so, corner, or, or yeah, we'll or out. or a, yeah, somewhere you know, wherever. Somewhere we Somewhere cool. Get a, somewhere where. <laughs> somewhere where they let people who are on their on the lower end of the J parabola yeah. in. Uh, no that no, but um yes we will hopefully do a christmas show and uh, and yes and hopefully. the new album is looking mm, to be out this mm, year or next we're mm. just not sure <laughs> yeah you're it's, working on your own uh, it's a huge timeline. it's a very huge thing it's a, it's a bigger thing than i've ever tried before it's twice as big it's three times as big so therefore i keep putting it back the release date back it's going to turn into my chinese democracy clearly <laughs> But um I've just decided for once to to stop being anxious and finish it properly. Yep. And so it'll probably be next year. Cool. Hopefully. That's <laughs> exciting. But it'll be good.
0: It'll be and surprising in oh. some ways.
3: Oh, sorry. Well, that's that's all I can say. That's
0: yeah. great, Sizzle. Yeah. People can find primates at Primates Pod on all the different social medias and Primates Pod at gmail.com if you want to email in. All these links will be in the description of the episode. Please review us, give us a five star review. That's important. Oh yeah. It, it, I mean you would how hard would you find podcasting? You gotta beg for people to review you. <laughs> yeah. It's no, a wild world. I, how you can do it so often it's, it's I think I've become numb to it me maybe
2: to consider that. What
0: yeah. I tell people is tell me what you really think in the words, but do it next to a five star review. <laughs> then I'll 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 really yeah. consider your criticisms. But if you yeah. do it next to a one star review yeah, I'm not. I'm probably not gonna <laughs> right. listen. Anyway, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for coming in, Damien Cow. It's been an absolute dream come true. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> to have you in the monkey house? And as we always say here on Primates Podcast, uh, he's like a monkey with arthritis. That's
2: what Elton John said about Keith Richard. <laughs>
0: Podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network.
1: Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want, it's up to you.
2: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ